Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Oh, the media welcome was back just a notch lower on the politics podcast. It's then. the year of but review show. This is what we'll see in Pelosi now. You want to hear how? Oh, my God, it's like Obama. God has descended and handed the gavel to that fake-faced, incoherent by, but we really don't moron. deserve it. And, and she is part uh, of a diehard Packer fan. Let, let's just be honest. Uh, in the Congress that will be led uh, by I mean, Nancy you really Pelosi, look at our season, figure, Saints, uh, she's we beat them when, yeah, they didn't have the, uh, the most powerful woman in we American politics. And we've already uh, seen how some of that Kansas City when they didn't have the quarterback. I mean, we just went ugly. Yesterday's game, that was just pathetic. I mean, it was exciting. It was nice to see us pull it out, but... Uh, famous I don't know where we were for the, the first the half, Victor, uh, so I got the podcast done, over the president put together Mountain kind of an interesting format this year compared to uh, usual. Of what this might be like. Nancy Pelosi is a veteran legislator and stuff dealmaker. From January, was on TV yesterday, and then uh, we'll just go into some general synapses from other sources that I use and come up with sound bites. It's going to be a little bit lengthy, but I think it's good to review on this year. It's been a pretty freaking ugly year across the board. So, after that, and we'll hit some campus reform articles, some gay shit, climate, racist stuff. Back, it, it's there, members of your caucus, I think it's important to just to pose, it seems like and it this might is a long soundbite, but it's it going to show what the media did at the beginning of this year. That's a when statement that's capable of interpretation. Dems took. Care to explain what you meant? Well, I, did, I wish that my members had not repeated that. And the media is saying they're probably not going to impeach to the end of the year. Because you're a woman. Um, I have no idea. I'm going to edit see. some more out. This I mean, is very long. This is Pelosi's speech and the media. And, and that doesn't matter whether well, a woman This or is not. how we started. But I hope he recognizes that a new day has dawned in America. You said in August you thought he might be afraid of you and afraid of the women that are coming to Congress. Oh, well, I don't know if he knows how to deal with women in power and women with uh, strength, but we'll see. And she is part of a historic class of women here uh, in the Congress that will be led uh, by Nancy Pelosi, who is a historic figure. Uh, she's going to reclaim her position as Speaker, uh, the most powerful woman in American politics. And we've already seen how some of that dynamic uh, plays out on the national stage in that meeting uh, with the president in the Oval Office, where uh, you know Nancy Pelosi walked out in that that red coat that's now uh, famous, seen as kind of the the victor uh, triumph. Uh, over the president in that meeting. I think that gave you a little bit of a taste uh, of what this might be like. Nancy Pelosi is a veteran legislator and dealmaker. Her daughter was on TV yesterday uh, saying that she'll cut your head off and you won't even know that you're bleeding, which is a pretty remarkable thing uh, for a daughter to say about their mother. Uh, she views herself as uh, somebody who has collected years of wisdom and experience uh, and is the right general. I now call the House to order on behalf of all of America's children. Go kids! Go kids! Go kids! Obviously, as Gloria said, she was there you know, watching when she first became the, the very first female speaker. She's obviously still the only female right. speaker in the history of, of America. Um, 
And, you know, it was obviously a historic moment for women, but she wasn't as, she didn't wear her femininity on her sleeve uh, and her, for lack of a better way to say, girl power on her sleeve the way she is now. And that was one of the things that was striking when I talked to her and I've seen in other interviews since, the fact that she is very openly, aggressively, consciously trying to send messages to women of, of all parties in a nonpartisan way and, and of all professions, uh, all walks of life, that it is okay to be a, a powerful w woman without, um, you know, getting all of the baggage that... Doris, the significance of Nancy Pelosi now, the most powerful woman in government. You know, I think for all the angst that people felt about who the speaker should be between the election and today, there's no question she's the right person at the right time in the right place. It's an incredible thing to see this diverse house. I must say I'm ever optimistic when I watch them. A lot of young people must be feeling, I can be one of them. So it's a pretty exciting thing. It's about time that the House of Representatives, the People's House, begins to look more like the people of the United States. And, and I, I, I think it's thrilling. I felt that at the time of the midterms. We've had so little joy in politics in these last months. I mean, there seems to me so little joy in President Trump as a person, you know, except when he's fighting against something. So to see families together at this moment, to see the joy of new people thinking that maybe things will be different, you know, that maybe there's something will change and this fever will break. Um, we just have to celebrate that moment. Let us just take this moment and feel good about it and know that maybe things will get a tough again tomorrow. But I just have a little bit better feeling about things right now as of this moment. It is great to have you with us here on a Thursday night. We have a lot to get to tonight, but we're going to begin with that historic power shift in Washington. Democrats taking over the House and making history with the new makeup of Congress. Nancy Pelosi, the first woman to ever be Speaker of the House, now returning for her second run in the role, calling the session to order with her grandchildren, inviting all of the children and grandchildren in the chamber right up to the podium. Calling it a new dawn, Pelosi welcomed the most diverse group of representatives the Congress has ever seen. And in a surprise move late today, President Trump appearing in the White House briefing room with his own message for Speaker Pelosi. And a reminder tonight, despite the pageantry we saw today, it is now day 13 of the government shutdown. 800,000 Americans are waiting to get paid. Many others won't even get back pay. Mary Bruce leads us off from the Hill tonight. With her grandchildren by her side, a beaming Nancy Pelosi made a triumphant return to power. This afternoon, Democratic committee chairs, newly vested with subpoena power, began to lay out their plans to investigate President Trump and his administration. You know what's been happening with families separated at the border. Democrats filed legislation today to go after the president's tax returns and vowed to reopen a Russia probe House Republicans closed last year. And as special counsel Robert Mueller continues his investigation, Pelosi today disputed the Justice Department's claim that a sitting U.S. president can't be indicted. Today belongs to her. I now call the House to order on behalf of all of America's children. But Nancy Pelosi's second speakership may be shaped by him, a president confronting a new political universe. Congratulations, each and every one of you. As a triumphant Pelosi and her party take over the House. There was little time for the media not, like, to try to correct themselves. Right out the gate, this is a politico Reporter Rachel Bade sitting above the chamber. You can see the stark contrast in color. By the way, the GOP and Dem sides, the R's are all in dark suits, almost all white. 
The den sign is speckled with pinks and purples and greens being worn by historic number of women. Also, very ethnically diverse. She followed up with, the kids are taking over the house. A rando like me. Try to hide your Democrat, Democrato, and Benny. It's 2019 and we're still judging people by the color of their skin? Possibly the shallowest, most intellectually inept observation. You'll see this month. Maybe this year. But I doubt it. Melissa Milano, for the people. D's nuts for the people. She she came out of the gate with this kick-ass little speech. But in here, you'll hear her freaking fuck up and do some dumbass <laughs> while she was doing it. But uh, j- just listen to what this lady said. We have no illusions that our work will be easy and that all of us in this chamber will always agree. But let each of us pledge that when we disagree, we respect each other and we respect the truth. We will debate and advance good ideas no matter where they come from. And in that spirit, Democrats will be offering the Senate Republican appropriations legislation to reopen government later today. We will do so we'll do so to meet the needs of the American people, to protect our borders, and to respect our workers. And I pledge that this Congress will be transparent, bipartisan, and unifying, that we will seek to reach across the aisle in this chamber and across divisions across our nation. In the past two years, The American people have spoken. Tens of thousands of public events were held. Hundreds of thousands of people turned out. Millions of calls were made. Countless families, even sick little children. Our little lobbyists, our little lobbyists bravely came forward to tell their stories, and they made a big difference. Now the floor of this house must be America's town hall, where people will see our debates and where their voices will be heard and affect our decisions. Transparency will be the order of the day. And as Mr. Jeffries, our distinguished chairman, said, we will follow our our mandate for the people. And I thank you for your kind nomination and accept those kind remarks on behalf of the entire House Democratic Caucus who made all of those victories possible, some of them in a bipartisan way. The tellers agree in their tallies that the total number of votes cast is 430, of which the Honorable Nancy Pelosi of the state of California has received 220. Empower our mandate for the people to lower health care costs and prescription drug prices and protect people with pre-existing medical conditions. To increase increase paychecks by rebuilding America with green and modern infrastructure from sea to shining sea. We look forward to working with the President on that. To pass H.R. 1, 
to restore integrity to government so that people can have confidence that government, in a government that works for the people, not the special interest. H.R. 1. This House will take overdue legislation that has bipartisan support, bipartisan support in the Congress and across the country. We will make our community safer and keep our sacred promise to the victims and survivors and families of gun violence by passing common sense, bipartisan, background check legislation. We will make America fairer by passing the Equality Act to end discrimination against the LGBTQ community. And we will make America more American by passing our, by protecting our patriotic, courageous dreamers. Our nation is at an historic moment. Two months ago, the American people spoke and demanded a new dawn. They called upon the beauty of our Constitution, our system of checks and balances that protects our democracy, remembering that the legislative branch is Article I, the first branch of government, co-equal to the presidency and to the judiciary. They want a Congress that delivers results for the people, opening up opportunity and lifting up their lives. We're hearing the voice of the future there. How beautiful. <laughs> when our new members take the oath, our Congress will be refreshed and our democracy will be strengthened by their optimism, idealism, and patriotism of this transformative freshman class. Congratulations to all of you in the freshman class. Working together, we'll, we will redeem the promise of the American dream for every family, advancing progress for every community. We must be pioneers of the future. This Congress must accelerate a future that advances America's preeminence in the world and opens up opportunities for all building an economy that gives all Americans the tools they need to succeed in the 21st century, public education, workforce development, good-paying jobs, and secure pensions. We have heard from too many families who wonder in this time of innovation and globalization if they have a place in the economy of the future. We must remove all doubt that they do and say to them individually, we will have an economy that works for you. Let us declare that we will call upon bold thinking to address the disparity of income in America, which is at the root of the crisis of confidence felt by so many Americans. As Justice Brandeis said, we may have democracy or we may have wealth concentrated in the hands of the few, but we cannot have both. We must end that injustice and restore the public's faith in a better future for themselves and their children. We must be champions of the middle class and all those who aspire to it because the middle class is the backbone of our democracy. It has been since the birth. It has been since the birth of our democracy. Aristotle said, it is manifest that the best political community is formed by citizens of the middle class, in which the middle class is large and stronger than any of the other classes. 
We must fight for the middle class that is fair and fiscally sound, protecting Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. <laughs> we must also face the existential threat of our time, the climate crisis, a crisis manifested in natural disasters of epic proportions. The American people understand the urgency. The people are ahead of the Congress. The Congress must join them. And that is why we have created a select committee on climate crisis. The entire Congress must work to put an end to the inaction and denial of science that threaten the planet and the future. This, this is a, this is a, a decision. It's a, deci a public health decision about clean air, clean water for our children's health. It's a decision for America's global preeminence in the green technologies. It is a, a decision, a security decision, to keep us all safe. All three, all three of that, all those legislative initiatives have bipartisan support in this body. And when we're talking about the dreamers, let us remember what President Reagan said in his last speech as President of the United States. I, I, I urge you all to read it. It's a beautiful speech. He said, if we ever close the door to new Americans, our leadership role in the world will soon be lost. Ronald Reagan. Our common cause, you know, applaud for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> our common cause is to find and this is for John. It sounds like a skit, man. For the children, you kill people. Like a lot of peoples. A lot of women, too. Ari Melber, Nancy Pelosi makes history today as the first woman Speaker of the House and the second woman Speaker of the House. That's how I'm trying to do it. CNN, Nancy Pelosi, elected Speaker of the House, reclaiming the gavel and becoming the first female House Speaker, independent. How Nancy Pelosi made history once again with a little bit of help from Trump. Laura Figueroa Hernandez, a blue check. Nancy Pelosi became House Speaker, making history again. In New York News, blop, fuck up. Megan Pratt's GOP leader, hand the gavel to Nancy Pelosi. She's making history yet again. Important to note that Nancy Pelosi is the highest-ranking woman in the U.S. government, and she's the only woman who's risen this high. Rebecca Kaplan, Pelosi is still the only female speaker in U.S. history. Rolling Stones, Nancy Pelosi makes history as she resumes her post. History, 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 history. Vox had to correct himself. An earlier version of the story mistakenly said Nancy Pelosi was the second person in history to claim the speaker gavel after losing it. Ugh. Or the jihadist way, Warren Bass, a bit of hit American history, the first two Muslim women elected to the U.S. House of Representatives was sworn in today. Or Sky News, history made as Congress convenes with more women than ever. David Reeks, if you had to take a drink every time the word history has been said on MSNBC today, you would be hospitalized. <laughs> Why is it always history when Dems do it? I, I still go back to... Kellyanne Conway, who I don't like. She made history. We did not get histrionics over history. Daniel Burke, in her first speech as House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi frames new environmental push in explicitly religious terms, saying, we must be good stewards of God's creation. Aside from Pelosi making climate change alarmist sound like a religion, there was the part where she spoke of the need to protect God's creation. But there are exceptions, of course. 
in 2014. Honored to receive the Margaret Sanger Award. <laughs> Fuck that one, huh? Feliz of Doom. For the same person that said we have to bill, pass the bill to see what's in it. Psst. Nobody believes you, Nancy. Reed Wilson. Representative Brad Sherman plans to introduce articles of impeachment. It went nowhere. A race to be first. He's from California. Yeah. They rolled that fucker out quicker than fucking you can say whatever you want to say. I don't have an analogy. It's just funny. Then the House bill to end the government shutdown put $37.5 million back in for people to have abortions overseas because that's for the children. Democrats taking over House plan massive government expansion, higher taxes, while promising free everything for everybody. We'll get into Casio, but that fucking skankosaurus. Oh my God, Lord Jesus. We're talking single pair, the whole line, nine yards. Whole nine yards. Funding abortion. That was the most important thing. Fund abortion. Then Steve Cohn from motherfucking Tennessee. I don't know how the fuck this guy got elected. Introduces bill to eliminate the electoral college. Somebody asked, of course, when are they going to introduce an amendment to eliminate the House of Representatives? It's the only thing we haven't seen called to abolish recently. The Senate, Electoral College, the Supreme Court have all been nominations for the chopping block. Doug Powers. Alternate title proposed legislation is, instead of admitting Hillary Clinton was a lazy candidate, let's just trash the Constitution. Jim Jordan. We knew they couldn't help themselves. Sherman files article impeachment. Cone tries to do the Electoral College and abortion. He closes with, they seem more, more involved in stopping the wall than helping the country. And he's right. I mean, they give no fucks. No fucks. Then we get to the ugly Adam Best, who didn't back off this. Homophobe Mike Pence had a swear in Kristen Cinema, the first out bisexual senator in history, on a law book because she didn't want the Bible. He seems very uncomfortable. And she's having fun. When the whole world called him on it because he doesn't seem any different than anybody else, seems like some people disagree about P- Pence being weird. But here's the thing. He's always weird. He's weird in interviews. And he's weird in that meeting with Chuck and Nancy. He's just weird. Kim Priestap sums it up. Stop being an anti-Christian bigot. He was kind and gracious. He didn't act different. But it's everything. It's just everything. These people are so fucking ugly. They were tweeting anything. If a fly would have came in. Oh, there's Bessibus, the devil, I can smell sulfur. Remember, they all jerked off to that when a foreign leader said George Bush smelled like sulfur in the U.N. Yeah. But that's nothing compared to this Islamist, anti-American piece of shit that got elected to Congress. Newly sworn in Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib under fire this morning for comments that she made calling for President Trump to be impeached. Listen. And when your son looks at you and says, Mama, look, you won, bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't, because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the motherfucker. 
All right, we're back with David Gregory, MJ Lee, and Alex Burns. MJ, she knows that people are holding cameras up like this, taping it. So she's not, she, this wasn't like a hot mic moment. Right. This was a message. And I think that you can hear already that a lot of the freshman class is filled with vim and vigor, uh, as my euphemism for something else. And so will we see some flame throwing? I mean, is this a style that they're coming to Washington with that they think will be effective? I mean, probably. And, you know, particularly on the impeachment issue, yes, this is not the kind of language that we're used to hearing uh, from sworn in members on Capitol Hill. Uh, however, we do know that the issue of impeachment is one that people around the country uh, think about. And obviously, especially for the critics and people who are not supporters of the pre president, uh, they do get worked up about this issue. And uh, Democratic members who are running for office or are already in politics, uh, they know that this is an important way to sort of rally the base and is a way to get uh, supporters excited. And I think it's not a mistake that a new member of Congress on the very first day on the job uh, would talk about this issue. I don't know that using that kind of language is necessarily advisable. But yes, expect members of Congress to be talking about impeachment sort of nonstop for the next year. It was not without controversy, though. Congresswoman T Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, the first Palestinian-American member of Congress, blasting the president overnight. First in an op-ed she co-authored in the Detroit Free Press, writing in part, quote, the time for impeachment proceedings is now. And later at a party where she was caught on camera apparently using an expletive to talk about the president. Maybe they don't, because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the Now, we reached out to Congresswoman Tlaib's office about that video of her talking about impeachment and so far no response, Savannah. Some members want to go further and vote on articles of impeachment against the president. This was new Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib at a gathering last night. We're going to go in there. We're going to impeach them all. Last night at a reception for MoveOn.org, um, one of your new members, Rashida Sleep, who is newly elected congresswoman from Michigan, um, used some colorful language to talk about what um, would happen to Donald Trump, to the president, saying, quote, we're going to go in and impeach the MFR. Your reaction to that comment? Well, I'm not in the censorship business. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that, uh, I mean, I don't like that language. I, I, I wouldn't use that language. Mm -hmm. I don't, again, establish any uh, language uh, standards for my colleagues. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's anything worse than the president has, what the president has said. I don't think we should make a big deal of it. I really don't. Okay. I really don't. That's probably the way people talk. Nancy Pelosi's response, pitch perfect? I thought so. I, I think watching your reaction. Yeah, no, recognizing the, the right to free speech and express oneself. And I think, you know, the temperament starts from the top. I've said this all along. The president sets the agenda and the tone. Well, and in fact, you could argue if you were in you know, Rashida Tlaib's shoes that the Muslim ban and a lot of other things oh, that yeah. the president's done even before he was elected. Absolutely. So offensive, Absolutely. which I think is what Nancy Pelosi was certainly alluding to. No apology tonight from a newly sworn-in congresswoman who declared overnight we're going to impeach President Trump, though she called the president something we cannot repeat. Tonight, the president has now responded, and so has Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Freshman congresswoman Rashida Tlaib today getting her first taste of the intense Washington spotlight. Stand by your comments from last night. Refusing to answer questions about this video and her profane promise to go after the president. Democrats cringed. I mean, I don't like that language. I, I, I wouldn't use that language. I think those kind of comments do not take us in the right direction. Republicans pounced. Is this the behavior that we're going to find with this new 
majority party. Can we ask you about the reaction to your comments? Tlaib, a normally outspoken mother of two, decided today that she had said enough. But Tlaib pushing impeachment on day one, even before the Mueller report, prompting a barrage of Republican backlash. How do you work with anybody if this is what they really have planned? Using foul language, they introduce that they just want to impeach the president. And some Democrats warning it could backfire. You know, we can play the what if game. What if this had happened under Obama and a freshman Republican member of Congress on the first day of the job had called Obama a mother effer? You know, it would be a big deal. I mean, it is yeah. it, it, it is something worth pointing out. Absolutely. I mean, it's stupid. It's wrong. It, it creates all kinds of problems for Democrats, uh, for people who go after the crudeness and the crassness of President Trump. And unfortunately, those adjectives are uh, are warranted, uh, given the way he's expressed himself. Uh, it certainly doesn't excuse it on the other side. And this is a, this is a, an indication of the problem that Nancy Pelosi and, Rep and Democratic leaders have both stylistically but also substantively because there is a lot of energy to come in you've been elected let's overturn what's going on let's impeach the president you don't know if there's any grounds for that david actually i will note that people on twitter liberals particularly don't even like that we're suggesting there's something wrong with with representative to saying they should impeach the mother blanker people are saying it was just locker room talk why are you reading things, david uh, it's interesting but, but, but david you, you know, if someone had said this about your former boss, President Obama, if a Republican member of Congress had said that about President Obama, it would have been a big deal. Impeach the motherfucker, the media jerking off. We are here wrapping ourselves in the fucking Constitution. By the end of the year, here's the Dems. 230, the nays are 197, present is 1. Article 1 is adopted. The question, the question is on adoption of Article 2. The question is on the adoption of Article 2. Those in favor say aye. Those opposed nay. The ayes have it. The ayes have it. For what purpose does the gentleman from New York see my colleagues, this morning and every morning when we come together, members rise and pledge allegiance to the flag. Every day, all across America, children in school, members of the military, officials and those uh, civically engaged also pledge allegiance to the flag. Let us recall what that pledge says. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic, to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We withhold this, the articles. Could you presumably withhold the articles for weeks until you get what you consider a failed, fair trial? Well, again, we'll decide uh, what that dynamic is, uh, but we hope that the... the Resolution of, of that process will be soon in the Senate. What do you consider a fair trial? Did you have one, Cheryl? Did you have a question, Cheryl? Did I have a question? Yeah. I do have a question. What do you consider a fair trial? What are you looking for? Are you looking specifically for witnesses, for documents? Well, let me tell you what I don't consider. the plan that Senator Schumer What I don't consider a fair trial. This is what I don't consider a trail, fair trial. But Leader McConnell has stated that he's not an impartial juror, 
uh, that he's going to take his cues, in quotes, from the White House, and he is working in total coordination with the White House Counsel's Office. Any comments, my colleagues? Well, let me just say that obviously Senator McConnell, by that declaration, has said that he is so, as in effect the foreman of the jury, is working with the defendant's counsel. That's not fair. Um, and uh, we'll have to see what else. But the, that's certainly an indication of an unfair, of an intention to have an unfair trial. We'd like to see a trial where they, where the, uh, look, it's up to the, uh, the senators to, reckon, to make their own decision working together, hopefully uh, in recognition of their witnesses uh, that the president withheld from us, their documents that the president withheld from us, and we would hope that that information would be available uh, in a trial to, to go to the next step because this, that's a, a, another level in terms of uh, uh, conviction in terms of, of this. But right now, the president is impeached. Is it possible you would never send the articles over? We're not having that discussion. We're, we, we have done what we have set out to do. The House has acted on a very sad day to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, to do so in a manner that was fair, even though the other side was mischaracterizing it. Nonetheless, it was fair uh, and, and appropriate and urgent and urgent. So we, always, we will make our decision as to when we're going to send it, when we see what they're doing on the Senate side, but that's a decision that we will make jointly. We've been hearing from people all over the country in the last, since last night and this morning. Seems like people have a spring in their steps because the President was held accountable for his reckless behavior. No one is above the law and the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. No one is above the law, and the President has been held accountable. It really is interesting to see the response that we are getting, bipartisan, across party lines. I, myself, want to say I have a spring in my step because of the moral courage of our caucus. To see them all, so many of a hundred members, go to the floor, that's all that we had time for, uh, to go to the floor and speak about our Constitution, about the facts of the case, so clearly, so patriotically, so prayerfully, and so solemnly, but so definitely. How long are you willing to wait? As long as it takes. Uh, even if he, if he doesn't uh, come around to commit to a fair trial, keep those articles here, uh, so keep it as long as it takes. Uh, if you know and he's told you what he's going to do, uh, it's almost like, uh, let's give him a fair trial uh, and hang him. I mean, it's the verse of that. As long as it takes, are you willing yes. to hold the articles indefinitely? If Mitch McConnell doesn't concede the points that you're asking him to, are you suggesting it's possible you will never transmit the articles of impeachment? If it were me, yes, that's what I'm saying. So we start the year for the children. We end the year. Hang that motherfucker. Yeah.
Yeah, that's nice. But if you remember correctly on the show, I said they were going to impeach that motherfucker. That's what they wanted to do. They only wanted to win the House, not to fix things for American people, because they knew they could get none of their crazy fucking left-wing shit through the Senate. They just wanted to impeach him. And we'd already been on a three-year fucking uh, investigation kick. Well, now they have the subpoena power, and then they could just fucking have every investigation we could possibly have, impeach him. They did it. So that's your beginning and end for Democrats. We kind of expected it. But hearing the media in the beginning go, I don't think they'll do it. It's pretty partisan to the end, which we'll play in a second. Oh, yeah, they wanted it. They wanted it. From January 10th, I had this one. I'm not going to go in depth to it because I have a big gay shit section on the back. Screening for cervical cancer and transgender men. We started the year just freaking out about this. All right. It was huge. Resurfaced a 2016 article. Cervical, cervical cancer screening should never be a requirement for testosterone therapy. Cervical cancer screening for transgender men, including intervals of screening and age to begin and end screening following recommendation for non-transgender women is endorsed by the American Cancer Society. Blah, 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 blah. And we were, we were pushing that shit because, you know, we always got to push the gay shit. Then from 114, one of my favorite things, Jim Acosta, because we were in full, always separating the children. This is not America, except it was in 2012, but we ignored it because it was Obama. So Jim Acosta went down to the border to show how safe it was. He went in a safe area where nobody did, and less than a mile away there was no border. But he went to the border where there was a fence and did one of the greatest cell phones I've ever seen. And here are some of the steel slats that the president's been talking about uh, right here. Uh, as you can see, yes, you can see through these slats to the uh, other side of the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, but as we're walking along here, we're not seeing any kind of uh, imminent danger. There are no migrants trying to uh, rush toward this fence uh, here in the McAllen, Texas area. As a matter of fact, there are some other businesses uh, behind me along this highway. There's a gas station, Burger King, and so on. Uh, but no sign of the national emergency that the president has been talking about. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's pretty tranquil down here. Yes, no, I'm being told that average Joes does not have enough players and will be forfeiting the championship match. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I've been sitting on that little smart-ass fucking dodgeball soundbite for like a year. And I just thought it was fucking perfect. Just fucking perfect. What an idiot. The best thing that happened in the, uh, you know, if I could say what the Trump administration has done for America, um, there's more than I'm going to say with this one thing. And, and I know there's been positives, but I got to admit, stopping the daily press briefing and not having us to hear Jim Acosta play fucking activists is great. From 118, we had Washington Post fact checks. Donald Trump claim he piled hamburgers as high mile high for Clemson. Tom Shad, Trump says he bought a thousand burgers for Clemson. It was piled up a mile high, he said. It was a memorable night for Clemson walking in the White House. He can't let dinner or fast food and thrill only select few college football players ever get the experience. Trump ended up claiming he stacked the hamburgers a mile high in an investigation piece by the journalist of Washington Post provided the statement to be wrong. So how much did the food actually cost? A Washington Post investigation. They literally itemized to come up with the total, 2,911. And then they had an out 
a, a list, a literal freaking outline. Somebody PowerPointed their ass off. Big Macs, McNuggets, sauces, filet fish, quarter pounder, salads, sandwiches, salads, burgers, Whopper, Whoppos. Um, and then at the very end, they literally, my friends, estimated how many burgers it would take to be a mile high. Just to own him. This is the same time we were still hearing about two scoops of ice cream. So, that's our journalism. Oh, it wasn't a mile high. It's a figure of speech, but, you know, what? we're fucking assholes. 121 brought us one of our worst times. It's amazing how fucked up January was when I went back through the podcast. And I did this in, like, June, and I just put certain episodes up. Didn't grab everything. But... This had to be one of the ugliest things this year. I mean, take all the other stuff. You know, you're all terrorists because you voted for Trump. You're all racist, xenophobes, sexist pieces of shit. I would say it sums up because, you know, this weekend, and and why this is important to play this, I, I really truly believe this. This weekend, another black Israelite went into a Hanukkah party with a motherfucking machete. And the media is not freaking out about it because he's African-American. He's a black Israelite. And the black Israelites were here on this day with Covington. Now, keep in mind, additionally, we'll talk that a Texas church got shot up this weekend. And a good guy with a gun dropped that motherfucker from about 35 feet with one shot. Headshot. It was perfect popsicle stick head type concept just pop down the stick is gone he was just on the ground that's not being covered either but remember covington started because of black israelites they latched on to a fake ranger indian and smeared a bunch of kids just because they wore that red hat do you feel from this experience that you owe anybody an apology? Do you see your own fault in any way? Did anyone say, build the wall? I never heard anyone say, build the wall. And um, I don't think I've seen it in any videos. After a review of the videos, NBC News could not hear anyone shouting that hot button phrase. But Nathan Phillips claims he heard the teen shout, build the wall. Oh yeah, I heard that. Phillips says he was trying to defuse the tense situation. Sandman says he was confused about Phillips' motives and why he was there. The center of the firestorm, what critics characterize as a smirk on Sandman's face. Some saying it was an attempt to stare down Phillips. What do you think that looks like? There were a lot of you, a handful of the others. Do you think they might have felt threatened by a bunch of young men? kind of beating their chests. There's something aggressive about standing there, standing your ground. You both stood your ground. And it was like a stare down. As for those red Make America Great Again hats that some students were wearing, Sandman says he bought his that day from a street vendor in Washington. Do you think if you weren't wearing that hat, this might not have happened or it might have been different?
They say it is shut today and it will stay shut until police tell them it is safe to open back up. There was a small protest uh, at the diocese, as you mentioned today, or a unity uh, moment at the diocese today. But, you know, all of but look, here are the facts of how all of this played out when it happened last Friday. The initial video came out. It was reported on when new facts became available. A new video was out there that was also reported on. That is how reporting works. Now, one of the Twitter accounts that sort of spurred on a lot of the reporting on this uh, issue, uh, on that video, uh, CNN asked questions of Twitter on it, and that video, that Twitter account has now been suspended. It appears there may have been an effort to, to, to make this go sort of hyper-viral by, by several uh, different individuals out there. The incident that everyone focused on to begin with was about four minutes long, but the entirety of this thing that uh, happened on Friday was over an hour and a half long. There were members of the uh, Hebrew Israelites. This is an African-American group that believes that they are uh, God's descendants. They had been taunting both the students and the Native Americans for quite some time. That's when the elder from the, uh, the tribe in Omaha, the Omaha tribe stepped in drumming and doing a spiritual song to try to bring everyone together he walked into the middle of it there was the face-off with nathan sandman who has now released a statement saying that he uh, didn't mean anything by that and he wasn't actually facing off with him he was only trying to bring everything down as well uh, interestingly the march for life which the kids were there uh, at uh, to begin with they at first uh, were very upset with what the kids did and then since rescinded their statement as well. Uh, the school, the diocese, and the nearby Latin school closed today. We will see what happens tomorrow, but right now people here in the, 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 the area around Cincinnati, uh, just south of Cincinnati in Kentucky and Covington, uh, trying to come to grips with everything that happened and hopefully take a breath and move yeah. on. Brooke? Yeah, yeah, take a breath. Just seems like a snapshot of America here in 2019. Where were the chaperones? Why did a school event involve MAGA hats? Then we get to the heart of it. The face-to-face -face encounter. The man, Nathan Phillips, apparently wanted to diffuse the tension, and he walked up to do exactly that. And surely the kid, Nick Sandman, he doesn't seem to be afraid, but he did make a choice, and that was to make it into a standoff. That was not a good choice. Was it legal? Sure. That's not my test. And it shouldn't be the test. Here's mine. If that were my son, who happens to go to a great Catholic school, would I like what he did? If I were there, would I have allowed the kids to be in that situation? No and no. There was a disrespected play that doesn't work for me in these circumstances. I don't blame the kids. My concern were the reactions more so. The left and the right almost instantly had equal and opposite reactions. There were reports of extreme misconduct, attacks by the kids, reverb about it being set up to hurt the kids. The man with the drum was accused of lying and provoking. And then came the president. Nick Sandman and the students of Covington have become symbols of fake news and how evil it can be. They've captivated the attention of the world, and I know they will use it for the good, maybe even bringing people together. Started off unpleasant, but can end in a dream. Isn't that your job? Not the teenager, right? Weren't they out of their depth? Aren't they supposed to be protected from this? Aren't you the one who's supposed to find a way to bring us together instead of exploiting every opportunity you find to divide? Railing on the media and the left, propping up the kids as victims. You neglect that they were mainly victims of their own choices and actions. Shouldn't we discuss that? But I will argue that it isn't proof that all is lost. 
and that the division, while overwhelming, there is a chance for better, and situations like this are supposed to be part of making it better. Teaching the kids that you've got to inject kindness into situations, the power of dialogue, what confrontation should be about. The kid even gets that. In his statements that he's made publicly, he says, I wish we could have talked. I wish this had never happened. He's right. Hopefully he will never make a choice like this. Tough spot for all involved. The president used the situation, however, to his advantage, tweeting, Nick Salmon and the students of Covington have become symbols of fake news and how evil it can be. The president chose to take sides to divide. The question for him is why. And the bigger question is what needs to happen here? Let's debate Angela Rye and Andre Bauer. It's good to have you on the show, Andre, first time. Angela, always a pleasure. Angela, how do you see what matters here? Well, there are a number of sides to every story. People say there are two sides and then there's the truth. And I think that this is so much deeper than that. We're, of course, just on the other side of celebrating Dr. King's holiday. And it's so unfortunate that in 2019, this country couldn't be more divided. I have to tell you that there are a number of us that when we see what happened, some deem it as an altercation, some deem it as a standoff. I see this hat. Right, Chris, and this hat represents so much more to me than just a symbol of free speech to the wearer. This is a hat that represents the man who announced his campaign as, you know, with Mexicans being drug dealers and rapists and let's build this wall. This is a man whose hat represents the same person who said he would pay the legal fees of someone who punched a black protester in the face at one of his rallies. Someone who has trafficked in racism, I would say is racist and definitely spews racist rhetoric. It is hard to divorce his policies, the rhetoric, the propaganda, his supporters from these actions. And unfortunately, these young men who perhaps one day will will regret their actions. It sounds like um, the main one who was standing right in uh, in the face of the Native American leader is already regretting some of those actions. And unfortunately, it represents so much of what we've seen, not just in 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, but what we've seen in this country from its founding. That hat has become symbolic of a lot of things in this country. Uh, to, to some, it is merely a hat that dons a political slogan uh, that the president has popularized, but for others, it has become uh, an invitation for confrontation. Some have even referred to the hat as a, a modern-day version of, of the Confederate battle flag. Do, do we think that the same reaction would have been had on both sides if, if he weren't wearing that hat? Probably not. Um, there was a sense in which the hat announced a certain set of political commitments. Uh, Alyssa Milano, I think the actress, describes the hat as the modern-day white sheet. Um, I think that's what she, how she described it. Uh, the hat, in some ways, represents uh, for many of us a kind, uh, a kind of racial animus. Uh, Make America Great Again is a kind of nostalgic longing for the 1950s, not by way of public policy, Craig, but by way of the cultural ethos of the 50s, which meant a society organized along the lines of segregation in which black people were to stay in their place, brown people were to stay in their place, and white people were to be treated and valued differently as a, according to the color of their skin. So yes, I think if the cats weren't involved, it might not have been um, as, as intense, uh, but there, are also, there were also words. Uh, there were a lot of people who said that, you know, build the wall, build the wall, uh, said that that was shouted. Uh, we saw 
uh, uh, footage later on of the young young men catcalling cat at young women walking by. There's so much there that we need to unpack. unpack. It's not surprising, then, that when a group of pro-life Catholic kids who look like lacrosse players and live in Kentucky are accused of wrongdoing, the media don't pause for a moment before casting judgment. Maggie Haberman of the New York Times suggested the boys needed to be expelled from school. Anna Navarro of CNN called the boys racists and asswipes and then went after their teachers and their parents. Others called for violence against them. CNN legal analyst Bakari Sellers suggested one of the boys should be, quote, punched in the face. Former CNN contributor Reza Aslan agreed. Aslan asked on Twitter this, have you ever seen a more punchable face than this kid's? Longtime CNN contributor Kathy Griffin seemed to encourage a mob to rise up and hurt these boys. Quote, name these kids. I want names. Shame them. If you think these efforts wouldn't dox you in a heartbeat, think again. Then she repeated her demand again later. Quote, names please and stories from people who can identify them and vouch for their identity. Thank you. Hollywood film producer Jack Morrissey tweeted that he wanted the boys killed. Quote, MAGA kids go screaming hats first into the wood chipper. And then he paired that with a graphic photo. Actor Patton Oswalt linked to personal information about one of the boys in case anyone wanted to get started on that project. Meanwhile, Twitter, which claims to have a policy against encouraging violence, stood by silently as all of this happened. But in case you think the response was entirely from the left, you should know that the abuse was bipartisan. It wasn't just left versus right. It was the people in power attacking those below them as a group. Plenty of Republicans in Washington were happy to savage the Covington kids, probably to inoculate themselves from charges of improper thought. Bill Kristol asked his Twitter followers to consider, quote, the contrast between the calm dignity and quiet strength of Mr. Phillips and the behavior of MAGA brats who have absorbed the spirit of... This was pretty heinous, because when you really break it down, they knew this. They all knew it, but it was a perfect time to do their talking points. They're all progs, all conservatives are racist, anybody that could ever, you know, who could vote for fucking Trump? The only network that got a good rating was CBS. ABC, CNN, bad, ugly. MSNBC, NBC, USA Today, New York Times, WAPO. The stuff they said, NBC, Saturday NBC News, Jose Diaz, Blabart, Blake, or whatever, immediately accepted leftist viral online reaction. A troubling scene many are calling racist played out in Washington yesterday. On MSDNC, devoted significant airtime to the story over the weekend, but the tone of the coverage was nasty. On Sunday, KCDC, a one-sided panel discussion, devolved into pundits comparing covenant students to neo-Nazis. CNN spent even more airtime on the Story on Saturday, unfiltered host S.E. Cup attacked the mob of mega hat wearing high school students and claimed they were clearly not getting a good education. Yeah. Then she went on Twitter and attacked everybody. Do you remember that? I covered it on the show. USA Today, even after the incident had been debunked, the paper still insisted on publishing a smear against the coveting students featuring a softball in a f- interview with the fake Indian Ranger dude who trashed the kids as beastly. New York Times liberal paper was eager to blast the racist teenagers who mocked a Native American veteran. WAPO. Do we really even need to talk about WAPO? We, we know what they did. By the end of the month, oh, that's just child play. It's just child's play because then we had the double whammy 
with the gift that you think would keep giving, but because he has a D behind his name, oh, he, he's still in office. Now he's trying to take your guns. That's right, Governor Ralph Northam. We begin this hour in Virginia, where Governor Ralph Northam remains defiant, despite growing calls for him to resign over a racist yearbook photo from 1984. A new Washington Post poll finds people in Virginia are split when it comes to calling for Northam to step down, while 58% of African Americans in Virginia say he should not resign. Northam sat down this weekend with CBS This Morning co-host Gail King for his first ever interview about the controversy, and he admits he did wear blackface once, although not in the notorious yearbook photo. And he insists that he's not going anywhere. I marvel that you're still standing when so many people have said, you got to go and you got to go now. I'm thinking either he's got a lot of confidence or he's just a little crazy. Well, I know in my heart who I am uh, and I know what I can do. And Virginia right now uh, needs a leader that's strong, that has courage and that can take us to the next level. And I can do that. You might have to convince people that you're still the right leader for this job. You have a lot to do. I have a lot of work to do, but I, I, I will do everything that I can to regain Virginia's trust. Starting with a press conference nine days ago, he says to set the record straight, denying the man in that racist photo was him. I believe then and now that I am not either of the people in that photo. So take us in the process of you realize, uh uh-oh, Houston, we have a problem. That's not me. Take us behind the scenes of discussions that you and your staff and your wife had about now we're going to go in front of the cameras and say, it isn't me. Saturday was a, a very busy day. Um, I did talk to my, my wife, uh, uh, my close colleagues, and I, I just made the decision that we, we need to clarify this. And but I, was there some concern with people saying, Governor, now you're going to really look crazy? Well, I've always been a, a transparent person, and I just thought it was important to, to let people know that that, that wasn't me. That's uh, not who I was uh, at that time, uh, and it's certainly not who I am now after 35 years of service to, to this country and my commonwealth. So after Saturday, the drumbeat started beating immediately about he needs to go, he needs to go, by people in your own party, by some of the top Democratic leaders in the country, uh, by some of your constituents who were protesting outside your home. And after that happened, you thought what? I thought, first of all, I've heard a lot of people, not only in, in Virginia, uh, but in this country. Uh, but I also know that I was elected uh, to be the governor of Virginia. People had faith and confidence in me, and we've had a, a great first year. We've, we've expanded health care to over 400,000. We've dealt with criminal justice reform. We've raised the felony larceny. No, your history, your, your history of work is good. Your history of work is good. But I, I do want to make sure that we focus on this because I think that this is really important to clarify your position yes. and why you think you still deserve this job when so many people are calling for you to step down. Well, again, we, we have worked very hard right now. Virginia needs someone that can heal. Virginia also needs someone who is strong, who has empathy, who has courage, and who has a moral compass. And that's why I'm not going anywhere. You know, the other thing that struck people in the news conference is when you were talking about Michael Jackson and you said, you know, because many people know it's hard to remove shoe polish from your face. And I'm thinking, hey, how do you know that? Yeah. Because it implies that you've 
certainly put shoe polish on your face on more than one occasion. How do you know that it's difficult to remove? Well, I didn't know that. When I dressed up as, as Michael Jackson, I put some uh, shoe polish on my Jeez. cheeks on both sides. Uh, you also, or not you, but folks need to know <laughs> that I went to military school, military college for four years. I polished my shoes almost every day. Uh, we did that with what we call a spit shine rag. It's a very thin piece of cloth. And the shoe polish, yes, and the shoe polish goes through that cloth and it gets on your finger or my finger, and it's very difficult to remove. So that that's why I know shoe polish is difficult. So that's what you were referring to. That's correct. Okay. From the very beginning, you said you were not stepping down, but the story has certainly changed. Are there any circumstances that you would step down? Well, I'm I'm prepared right now to move forward. I don't have any plans to resign, and yeah, I think we have a, a unique opportunity to make impactful changes. Wouldn't you have preferred to have this unique opportunity another way? I would, but again, <laughs> again I really do believe that things happen for a reason. Um, I, I am too. a faithful person, and there is a reason, uh, I believe, that this happened and happened to you it did and what do you think that reason is that we are in a position to to learn i will focus on race and equity that's something that for the next three years is going to be my commitment to virginia and i really think we can uh, make impactful changes and Gail King joins us now to talk about this interview. Uh, Gail, what a wide-ranging interview that mm. provided, I think, a lot of context uh, with the controversy surrounding Governor Northam. But here's the question, I guess, that we have, and we've been talking about it all morning long. Was it your sense that he was being sincere with you about some of the things that he was saying? There is no question to me that he was being sincere, and he sincerely wants to get this right. You know, it, it does seem like every time he says something, it creates another problem. But there's no question about what he wants to do and why he believes he's the best person for this job. And I believe him when he says, I am not stepping down. He knows that he's made some big, big, big mistakes. And he also wants a chance to make it right. And, you know, when you talk to people in the state of Virginia, many people want to give him a chance to do that. You know, it's very tough. It's still, you know, there were a couple times in the interview where somebody says something, you have that dog hit, huh? Because <laughs> it's still so hard to believe that that wasn't him in the picture or that he didn't know about the picture. But Because I said, did you ever stand next to someone in a Klan robe and take a picture? Because so he wasn't a kid. He was no, he wasn't a kid. But he said he saw that picture and he just overreacted. But I said, but you, react, you reacted so quickly just to say no, to say, yes, it was me. I take full responsibility. Friends started calling him. He started thinking and he realized, nope, he still insists. I, this is what I said. I said, you know, it would be so easy to believe if you just said, hey, yeah. I was 25. You know, I know it was a dumb, stupid thing to do. I'm so sorry. I'm a different person. Um, so, yes, I took the picture and I so regret it. But he goes, but that's just not the truth. I did not feel that he was being disingenuous. Well, I think the thing for a lot of people is, you know, the picture's one thing, but then the way that he's been dealing with it, he's just been sort of, excuse my French, was stepping in it over and over and over again. It's all these missteps. And then there's this interview with you where he calls slaves indentured servants. Okay. And now, now, did now, you hear the explanation for that? Well, I, got, I, I understand that he released a statement that said he's yes. still learning. I think that for a lot of people would be like, at this point, you're still learning. But he was at a speaking engagement and a historian came up to him and mm -hmm. said that it's more factually accurate to say for this time period that he was referring to, mm -hmm. to you, even though in the past he's used the word enslaved, mm -hmm. the historian came up to him and said, you know, factually, it really it's better to say indentured. So that's where he got that from. But the bottom line is he knows that it's slavery. He's not trying to step away from that. Right. He was just trying to be historically accurate. 
And then that ends up turning into a whole nother round of criticism for him. That's the thing. You know, I think he so wants to do the right thing. And so an historian says, you know, historically, you're not being accurate. You might want to change it, which is what he did. But now he's calling for an investigation himself. He wants to know where the pictures came from. He should. He wants to know how they got on his yearbook page. I said, do you know who those two people are? He goes, nope, he doesn't know who the two people are. So, you know, I, I think that I saw an interesting article over the weekend. I think it was in USA Today where the reporter said, who among us hasn't done something in our 20s? that we are not ashamed of or that we don't, that we regret. Who of us hasn't, you know, while we're all, you know, we live in a culture where you do something, we find that you screwed up and it's like off with your head. And yeah. I think sometimes you have to put everything in context of the time. And I'm hearing more and more about, you know, people who did blackface because they admired Diana Ross or they admired a rapper or they admired somebody famous. Yeah. Thinking, you know, it's a compliment. I don't mean it as an insult. No, there is a nuanced discussion around you yes. know, blackface as Michael Jackson and blackface as a minstrel, like yes, as, an as Al Jolson. As Al Jolson, a, right. a, a mammy. No, right, that right. ain't good. That, that, that that ain't there, good. There, there's a distinction there for people who really want to get into the subtle distinctions of it. But the, the other thing that I found really sort of interesting, and he didn't really seem to play that up a lot in the interview, but... The New York Times reported that, you know, when integration came to the state of Virginia, you know, his parents, like a lot of white parents, had the choice to send him to an integrated school or like some people made the decision to send their kids to white private schools. And he didn't he go, didn't to, go, the go white to those private schools. School. He and his yes. brother went to that integrated school. I, I showed him a picture two white guys on, on the his basketball, basketball yeah. team. Yeah. The picture is oh, really kind of funny yes. yeah, because it's like, you know, these African-American yeah. basketball players yeah. and, and, and him, him and yes. holding the ball, you know. And, but he yeah. didn't talk about that. Yeah. But they, they did interview African-American friends of his that he's had over the years. Yeah, he, he didn't. He, but he didn't play that yeah, up. Yeah, why didn't he play that up? Well, I, well, I did ask him yeah. when he's because I said, "Did you have black friends growing up?" I didn't know that that backstory until I saw the article. Because yes, I went to this integrated school, which makes it all the more astounding that you weren't more sensitive to it. Yeah. So I know, I know, it, it is a very interesting conversation with him, but I don't doubt uh, his sincerity, and he's he's in anguish about the problems that he's caused for the state of Virginia, which he cares deeply about. It'll be no, just not- interesting because he has to lead that state, and he may feel all those things. The question is, can he still be effective as the Well, if Virginians leader? still want him, it's their decision That's and true. their choice. And I will say that this has certainly sort of encouraged this conversation yes. that we need to be yes. having. And I think you're right, Gail, that we are living in a time where there's sort of – instant retribution, mm-hmm. and then we sort of ask questions later at the fallout, did we mm-hmm. do the right thing? And mm-hmm. maybe it's time to sort of move to the next step where we... Take a breath, everybody. Right, right, sort of Take look at breath. circumstances, you know, one sort of posi- one circumstance at a time, and then and then come to a conclusion. I mean, and you look at his situation, and you look at what's happening with Justin Fairfax, two totally different cases. Right. One's you know, against and, the law. Yes, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. one is a crime, yeah. yes. one, is a, one is an alleged crime, yeah. but we'll see how that plays out as well. Yeah. Really fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for coming by. I love, I love being here. Why? Because Anne-Marie Green, it's good to be with you. <laughs> always well, good I to love, be with she you always too. says that every morning. And every morning, I, I actually wait for her to say it. <laughs> Hi, Anne-Marie. Well, my know, I try, I try like, to it's good it to be with you. Don't I, change it up. Well, no, I'm That's trying a great to, you know, signature line. But I'm, no, I'm not changing the line. I'm oh, changing the delivery. Oh, the delivery. <laughs> good to be with you. Oh, okay. Or yeah. good to okay. be with you. Oh, I got it. I want to keep it. I want to keep it fresh. I got it. Good to be with you always works. Oh man, this is Thank so you. great. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much, Gail.
There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer? Yeah, I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you, one, uh, first thing I would say, this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. And do you think multiple physicians should have to weigh in as is currently required? She's trying to lift that requirement. Well, I think it's always good to get uh, a second opinion and for, for at least two providers to be involved in that decision because these decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I, w I would certainly support more than one provider. All right, let's uh, go back. As I said on the show, for a decade, we have relived Rush Limbaugh's She's a Slut Because She Needs Free Birth Control and some rando congressman saying the best form of birth control is an aspirin between the knee. Romney's 47%. But talking about letting a baby be born and just let it fucking, well, we'll decide if we're going to let it live or not from a guy who is found to be blackface and his lieutenant governor, a rapist. And they're still in office. Now, like I said, he's trying to take guns. That's that's our media. That was January. That's just one month. Multiple podcasts. But I pretty much, as we go out to a music break, and we'll come into what happened yesterday. All right. And I was going to wait to cover this in the next podcast, but it, it's just a perfect, it goes well with this podcast of what this year has actually been. The rest of the year, all we had was the walls are coming in, impeachment a million times, and the dossier is real. They, they just doubled down because Mueller didn't work. So as we go out, we're going to play that. You're going to get a new order song, because I figured I'd end this decade on something from the 80s. We're going to play Joy Division, actually. Love will tear us apart. And you're going to come into a soundbite 
from Chuck Todd this weekend. There was a Rolling Stone article, and he literally is on phase two of we cover Republicans different, and I'm justifying my liberal bias on Meet the Press because those people are bad. He'll attack Christians. He'll do all sorts of bad shit. So, to surmise, what you heard the rest of the year, impeachment, this is the end, dossier's real, and you'll come into, it's okay to be liberally biased in the news, because conservatives, well, they're just bad people. Parts of the now infamous dossier on Trump have proven to be true. I know the history of the dossier, but it hasn't been discredited. In fact, it's been the opposite. It's been corroborated. Much of the dossier has been corroborated. This discredited dossier it which hasn't was been paid discredited. for. Paid. Your intel community has corroborated all of the details in there, the meeting. Some of the substance content of the dossier we were able to corroborate in our intelligence community assessment, which hmm. from other sources in which we had very high confidence. We know that with the FISA application, the relevant parts of Christopher Steele's dossier were corroborated. If the application included information from the dossier, it would only be after the FBI had, in fact, corroborated information through its own investigation. We also know that as time goes on, more and more parts of the Steele dossier get corroborated. So when the president just refers to it as fake dossier, that is false? Uh, I... I don't think that's that is the accurate characterization for the entirety of the dossier. Clear, investigators have corroborated part of the uh, dossier. The dossier has been corroborated by the intelligence community. U.S. investigators have corroborated some of the allegations in that dossier. Although we do know that parts of it have been corroborated. It's not been corroborated, but it hasn't been disproven either. Is there anything in the dossier that has been disproven? No. But not one thing has been disproven. No major thing from the dossier has been conclusively disproven. To date, none of it has been disproven. And whole big parts of it are holding up. The dossier um, holds up well. None of it has been disproven. All of the allegations in it, I don't know that anything has been disproven. It's a fact that none of it, not one word, has been disproven. In fact, a lot of it turned out to be right on the money. Former high-ranking intelligence officials have told us on the record that there is nothing in the Steele dossier that they know to have been disproven. Much of the dossier has been corroborated. Do you not accept that they... I don't agree with that, Alice. This is our reporting, and this is what... Um, this is what crime-fighting agencies have said, that the FBI would not have just taken a dossier to the FISA court and used that as their predicate for the surveillance. They had to corroborate it themselves. That's how they operate. If this BuzzFeed News report is true, then we are likely on our way to possible impeachment proceedings. If it were to be true, it means the president told someone to lie under oath, which very simply is a crime, and is impeachable. If this story is true, we must begin impeachment proceedings. If you can prove that the president ordered it, that to certainly rise to the level of uh, rises to the level of impeachable offense. We're going to know if the president of the United States committed a federal felony, and at that point, we are in high crimes and misdemeanor, and we are in impeachment right. territory. Right. Is that an impeachable offense? Uh, this is suborning perjury. I think there's no question it's an impeachable offense. That is considered an impeachable offense. Absolutely, these are impeachable offenses. Inside that answer, I did hear the I word impeachable. Impeachment is a very fine alternative way to deal with this. Democrats will move maybe faster, maybe more aggressively toward impeachment. There are an awful lot of similarities between a couple of the articles of impeachment against Nixon 
and the elements of this story. The very same offense for which the House of Representatives moved to impeach Richard Nixon. In the past, been impeachable. That is the exact way that Nixon was kicked out of office. It's one of the things that drove Richard Nixon out of office. CNN has not corroborated this reporting. CNN, we should be clear, has not independently confirmed this. CNN has not independently confirmed this reporting. It is important for us to note this morning that neither CNN nor any other major news outlet has so far confirmed BuzzFeed's report. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today, turning point. Today was historically bad for President. Today was a turning point. A turning point. Point here. The beginning of the end of Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumbling impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. The beginning of the end. He may be feeling the wall on him. All the walls closing in on him. The wall in on him. Breaking news. A new bombshell. Sure. Says this means the beginning of the end for President Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. It's tipping point. I know we've said it over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. Tipping point. And over and over. Breaking then Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshell. This is a very dramatic. I think it might be near a tipping point. You think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Of the, end. the beginning of the end. We begin tonight with the bomb. Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping. Trump's going down. This president could. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president had his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. Not serve out his term. No way. No how. News. Absolute bomb. Donald Trump is not. And it's over. It's over. Closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the hill. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to. Week will be the watershed week. Trump is in. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man. Walls. Closing in. The walls are increasingly on him. Tonight the walls are closing in. Today everything. This is the beginning of the end. It's tipping point for the Trump administration. What a historic day, Michelle. He's underwater. He feels those closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 bombshell.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. That's why they call me. This morning, Meet the Press takes an in-depth look at our post-truth society and how a changing media landscape has created chaos out of order. You've probably never heard of a town in Macedonia called Valles. This is the town where BuzzFeed discovered what was essentially a fake news farm. Some 140 websites pushing out made-up pro-Trump, quote, news stories, written for Americans not to help to elect Trump, uh, the candidate, but simply uh, to make money on Facebook. Well, since then, the idea of fake news has become a growth industry, morphing from simply a get-rich-quick scheme in a former Yugoslav Republic to a political weapon in our nationalized politics. The terms, alternative facts and truth isn't truth, debuted here on Meet the Press over the last couple of years, but these ideas are not new. I want to read you guys a letter to the editor that we found in the Lexington Herald-Leader. It was a fascinating attempt at trying to explain why um, some people support President Trump. Here's what he says. Why do good people support Trump? It's because people have been trained from childhood to believe in fairy tales. This set their minds up to accept things that make them feel good. The more fairy tales and lies he tells, the better they feel. Show me a person who believes in Noah's Ark, and I will show you a Trump voter. It, 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 look, this gets at something, Dean, that, that my executive producer likes to say. is, Hey, voters want to be lied to sometimes. They, they, don't, they don't always love being told hard truths. I mean, our job... Um, and it's a hard job, but our job, and I think our newsrooms have been sort of rebuilt to do this, is to uh, very aggressively sort out fact from fiction um, and to very aggressively work to make sure that people trust us and understand that that's our job. I mean, Marty has a, has a very extensive fact-checking operation, yes, as do we. Um, and that, those things didn't exist three or four years ago, and they're, they're an acknowledgment that one of the jobs of the news media is to sort through all of the um, BS, if I can say that, yeah. um, and come to some, and come do the kind of deep reporting that we all grew up doing, to come to some sort of understanding of what's actually happening in the world. And I think that's one of our largest new jobs. Dean, do we have to market the truth? And what I mean by this is, you know, he's out there a lot, essentially delegitimizing our professions. We don't fight back like a candidate. We don't fight back like a campaign. Um, do we need to start campaigning around the country to say, no, 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 here's how facts work. Here's, here's what reporting is. Here's what journalists are. Oh, by the way, if I utter a fact on TV, on Matthew, I wanted you to address what I think is an ecosystem problem, at least on the right. I want to put up something that one of my colleague Ben Collins put here. It's a, it's a bit of an ecosystem here. He'll say, you'll get something starts on 4chan. There's the subreddit of Trump. Infowars might pick it up. Then it starts inching into the mainstream. Gateway Pundit might just say, oh, what's this about? Then it gets to Drudge might have a, 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 a provocative headline link. Rush might say it in his fun little way. Then it does make its way into Fox News. And then, of course, your Facebook feed. How do you create more accountability in the conservative ecosystem for basically dealing with propaganda? 
Well, it's hard work. And I think it begins by trying to instruct young conservatives in the canons of journalism, namely empirical verification, right? And this, I think, the distrust of institutions that's longstanding among conservatives has led many of them not e to no longer believe in the idea that you need kind of evidence in order to forward a fact, or they don't believe in certain um, verified sources, credentialed sources of evidence or information. They don't trust any of it. What, one other change that I think it ma makes all of this more difficult is it used to be you can go to the supermarket and you see the tabloids and you see the Weekly World News and the alien has predicted who's going to be the president this year and you move past it. Right. Maybe some people get a chuckle, maybe some people believe it, but it's a minority of the population. Today, you can't ignore it because it's everywhere. And the second you go on one of these platforms, social media in particular, yeah. you're confronted by it. Matthew, he's getting at what I wanted you to tease out here, which is almost the, it's the cultural connection that the right has decided it doesn't have with mainstream media. So it doesn't matter what we report. Well, you don't understand my life, so why should I care? Right, and that cultural disconnect is decades old. Sure. What, what gives us this perfect storm of alt-truth is a few things. One is you have the technological change, which Kara mentions. Another is you have the institutional breakdown, which I think you showed earlier in the program. Confidence in these big institutions is just totally fake. Thank God for Congress, or and then, we'd be and then, the bottom. And then, what makes it, uh, then you have President Trump, right, who kind of plugs into benefits from both of those changes, but also uses it to amplify his message. And so what, what you end up with is this place where no one can really agree on the very basic material governing our democracy. Mm -hmm. I, I think the important thing, though, is to recognize that this just didn't organically happen. Uh, you know, this also comes in the context of a war on the institution of independent journalism, a war on the notion of truth that has served the political interests of uh, you know, institutions in the country. I mean, I think Fox News has waged a purposeful campaign over decades to convince people that other people's news wasn't the correct news. In fact, that they were the only part of the correct information. Here we go. Meet the press. We're not going to talk about the other side of climate change. And now, this this is just astounding that alternative media that conservatives had to start using, if we didn't have alternative media, we would never know that the Mueller investigation was bullshit. If we didn't have alternative media, we never know that the Covington kids were harassed by black Israelites. If we didn't have alternative media, we wouldn't know that the individuals who did the New Jersey shooting and who just chopped up a fucking Hanukkah party were African American because they won't show his face. They won't talk about it. We wouldn't know that a good guy with a gun shot somebody in a Texas church. We would not know that. We just know this. We need to make sure that people can protect themselves because oftentimes law enforcement can't react quickly. Uh, they, can't, they can't be there in seconds when these, these shooters are suddenly shooting. And so it's, it really is a remarkable thing that these people reacted so quickly and saved the lives of the other 239 people in that congregation. They did move very fast there. What else, Mr. Attorney General, do you think can be done? I, I feel we have these conversations over and over again, sadly, in this country. What can be done to curb this kind of violence? How do we stop gun violence in this country? What else can be done? You mentioned there have been other horrific shootings in Texas in this year alone. What, what can we do to protect people? Well, 
We can't stop this from happening in all cases. There's just no way we can predict what every person in our state's going to do. I think a focus on mental illness is obviously something that we need to we need to be uh, mindful of. But the reality is, I think our laws in Texas allow for allow us to protect ourselves, and so more people need to carry in our state in, in churches and in places of business, so that. If something like this horrible thing does happen, at least we have people that can react and save the lives of those around it. There's always discussion about, you know, imposing more gun restrictions. The reality is somebody like this who's willing to kill somebody is unlikely to follow a gun law. And so we need to continue to be vigilant and we need to allow our, own, our citizens to protect themselves. Exactly what happened tonight and I'm, or today. And I'm so grateful for the quick reaction because what happened in other church, churches, you know, about a year ago, and, and other places around my state, when there were people were not armed, we had a lot more um, people die. And, and so I'm really grateful tonight that we did lose um, one person and, and we had others injured. But we had a, such a quick reaction. And I'm, I'm really grateful for, for the heroes that were in that church. Remember, HuffPo was alternative media. Chuck Todd considers them mainline. So it starts with this Rolling Stone, and, and we can talk about the Rolling Stone all day. We know the Rolling Stone. The Rolling Stone is suspect shit. They've had a recant shit. They're also so fucked up. But that's where he started the idea, how disinformation spreads, according to Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd is from Rose for spread of di- disinformation. Here's how he sees it happening, and the media's rolling it. Rolling Stone lecturing about disinformation is a little like Matt Lauer talking about Me Too. Isn't that not true? The magazine's Peter Wade provided publicity for the very special Meet the Press airing December 29th, featuring big media bosses talking about the spread of misinformation. Chuck Todd has had a front row seat for spread of disinformation hosting Meet the Press. I spoke with Todd about his erosion of truth ahead of the upcoming December 29th special edition of Meet the Press that will focus on journalism about the weaponizing of misinformation. Wade's examples were all Republicans. No mention about the myriad of falsehoods confident confidently proclaimed by press and Democrats about Russian collusion. How many fucking uh, uh, high-ranking source, which was the preceding soundbite of the walls are closing in? If this is true, this could lead to impeachment. Was said a hundred times for three years on false reporting by WAPO, New York Times, BuzzFeed, Daily Beast, Nothing about Democrats spreading rumors from phony dossiers paid by Clinton campaign or false assurance to integrity FBI asked judge for FISA warrants to spy on Trump staffers. Chuck Todd, if you choose to advertise a cable st- television, linear television, there's a certain set of standards and facts you have surpassed in order to get your ad on television. Not the case on social media. Broadcast networks to all candidates for federal offices are not allowed to alter the content, at least when they come to candidate themselves. Wade mentions Trump exaggerating the size of the crowd. They just can't let that shit give up. Giving Todd a chance to bring up a blast from the past. And then more you learn, you realize you learn at the feet of a master of deception, Roy Cohn, or learn at the feet of the master of Joe McCarthy. Todd found problems solely on the right end of the spectrum. One of the things we don't fully appreciate in mainstream media on these attacks is that it becomes fun to attack the press. And that makes sense on the right. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. Attack them anyway. People that are the loudest chanters of fake news and accusatory of us are the ones who under a lie detector will probably take our word over any word they've heard from the other side on whether something was poisonous or not. Hannity says drink it and say and say says don't. Who do you trust? 
So I do think that it's somehow that this sort of cheering on falsehood for sport. Wow, have we gone off the rails, the right side of the silo conversation that's taking place? We'd even suggest that media employ what they would ordinarily call McCarthyism by questioning Republican patriotism for not signing on to what they are spouting. Wade, what surprised me most is the lack of fear of being called out as unpatriotic. Todd, yeah, I know. You think you would think it would. I don't get why so many people are comfortable uttering stuff that they may know will look ridiculous three or four years. Everything on fucking Meet the Press for the last three years has been ridiculous. And even longer. I have just one... I have so many sound bites. I don't want to make this four hours long. It's going to be hard not to. Worst deck, worst of the decade. Damn those conservatives. Let me just cover a couple, then you'll hear it. Keith Oberman. What was more like the cause of Oklahoma City bombing, talk radio, or Bill Clinton and Janet Reno's hands on management of Waco? See, the talk radio. That was when they couldn't have talk radio, so they did Air America, and then it failed. Another one. What would you do, sir, if terrorists were killing 45,000 people every year in this country? Well, the current health care system, the insurance companies, and those who support them are doing just that because they die individually of disease and not disaster. Neil Bortz on his radio show. Author Ian Hirsi Ali talking about radical Muslims. Somehow the idea got in their minds that to kill other people is a great thing to do and that they would be rewarded in the hereafter. Host Travis Smiley. But Christians use that every single day in this country. Do they blow people up, he asks? Yes. Oh, Christians every day, people walk in post office. They're walking to schools. That's what Columbine is. I could do this all day long. There are folks in the Tea Party. This was for 2010. Paul Krugman's in this. Mike Malloy, who used to be on Air America. John Meacham. Chris Matthews. Michael Steele. Um, New York Times reporter Chris Edge writing on Truth Dig. The dead in the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania were used to sanctify the state's lust for war because few cared to examine our activities in the Muslim world. The attacks became certified as incomprehensible by the state and its lapdogs, the press. It's This is what we've always done. The right is bad. The left is good. Don Lemon. We're up against people who lie, steal, and cheat, lie to their own mother, lie to themselves about what's right for this country, about truth, about facts, so they will ignore any misgivings, any terrible deeds, any awful saying that will ignore it for their own political purposes. They will ignore the bigotry and the pettiness and the childness about Donald Trump said about me and LeBron James and others just because they want to gain some sort of political clout or they want a few more dollars in tax money. At what cost? Joy Reid. Um, I've never heard of a guy who's one-time rapist. I've never heard of one-time sexual assaulter. I grew up with guys, Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh like this. He's from around this area, right? He's a fifth guy in a gang rape. He's a guy who comes in after he's drunk because everybody else encourages him and he can't get away with it. He's been, or he, and he can't, can get away with it. He's been pretty much covered his entire life and now he's on the Supreme Court where he can move that same despicable misogynist attitude. He has gotten away with his entirely cowardly life to great misogynist of all, which is the President of the United States. Enjoy. Somehow, the idea got into their minds that to kill other people is a great thing to do and that they would be rewarded in the hereafter. But, but, but Christians do that every single day in this country. 
Do they blow people up? In yes, all oh, Christians every day. People walk into post office. I mean, people walk into post offices. They walk into schools. That's what Columbine is. I mean, I could do this all day long. There are folk in the Tea Party, for example, every day, who are being, you know, recently arrested for making threats against elected officials for calling people nigger as they walk into Capitol Hill for spitting on people. That's within the political. That's that's within the body politic of this country. Basically. We have a president who treated the poor poorly, did not tend to the sick, broke laws, committed nearly impeachable offenses by your own reporting. Why should we be lionizing him in the broad public domain? You certainly don't. If only the people who voted in 2010 show up this November, you can kiss all this goodbye. You'll see the beginning of the end to what could have been, what many of us believe should have been, an historic turn toward full democratic government in this country, where everyone has a chance for the top office, where everyone is looked after by those in power. It will mean Republican control of both the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, and with that, a slow, grinding effort to kill not just the president's health care plan, but his presidency itself and the legacy it promised. It will be a double downing of efforts to suppress the votes of those who voted for him in historic numbers. A return to something like Jim Crow days, redolent of all the old anti-black gimmickry of that time. Literacy tests and poll taxes and all the rest. The goal will be to erase not just Obama from the history books, but any evidence that someone of his background should ever think of being president. It will mean victory for the haters. And believe me, it could well mean another war like the two we got from W, wars that achieved nothing but the deaths of Americans and the growing hatred of those we claim to be out there saving. The Dick Cheney's of the city right here in town are still a prowl, still stalking one more chance to get us back there in Iraq, still there in Afghanistan and heading toward Libya or Syria or Iran, wherever they can point the way and blow the bugle. There's a troll-like quality to Cruz. He operates below the level of human life. Uh, he, what is he, a theocrat? Maybe he is. I'm, I'm, I'm serious about the guy. There's something that is enlivening about these other candidates that makes you feel good. There's something about that guy who's always reminded me of Joe McCarthy. And there's something about him that's negative so, that what, menacing. So, and instead, what the press should be focused on is what are the consequences of repeal of Obamacare? And the consequences, as Mike just indicated, are death. Repeal equals death. People will die in the United States if Obamacare is repealed. That is not an exaggeration. That is not crying fire. It's a simple fact. They need to move on to a debate about the main issue, which is Obamacare. And they can bring death into the conversation and say, no, we're not calling uh, Mitt Romney a murderer. What we are saying is that if he's elected president, a lot of people will die. In, in a way that I probably could never tell them. You know, I mean, yes, it's a character, and yes, it's exaggerated. They are happy to have a party with black people drowning. One of the most comprehensive first-person accounts of slavery comes from the personal diary of a man called Thomas Thistlewood, who kept copious notes for 39 years. In 1756, he records that a slave named Darby catched eating canes had him well flogged and pickled, then made Hector another slave, S-H-I-T, in his mouth. This became known as Darby's Dose, a punishment invented by Thistlewood that spoke only of the slave owner's savagery and inhumanity. When Mrs. Palin invokes slavery, 
she doesn't just prove her rank ignorance. She confirms that if anyone truly qualified for a dose of discipline from Thomas Thistlewood... It is one thing to sort of want civility and to be and to take umbrage when it's one of your friends, when it's one of your own colleagues, but like you said, there's a whole country out there, and a, and a lot of people, at least in my Twitter timeline, um, and it's, it's a delicate thing because, you know, obviously everybody is wishing the congressman well and hoping that he sure, recovers. Sure. Um, but Steve Scalise has a history that it's that we've all been forced to sort of ignore um, on race. Um, he did come to leadership after some controversy over attending... Uh, a white nationalist event, um, which he says he didn't know what it was. Um, he also co-sponsored a bill to amend the Constitution to define marriages between a man and a woman. He voted for the House health care bill, which, as you said, would gut health care for millions of people, including three million children. And he co-sponsored a bill to repeal the ban on semi-automatic weapons. Um, because he is in jeopardy and everyone is pulling for him, are we required in a moral sense to put that aside at the moment? No, what we're required to say is we hope that when we hope he recovers and then when he covers there's a renewed mindset. If a lesbian person saved your life, you can't you should not go forward, you know, being homophobic. You shouldn't be in any way. If you almost died but you your life was saved because you got health care, then you should apply that ethic and want everybody else the same health same health care you have. You know, the Bible one of the guys that prayed Walker is from North Carolina and he was saying how he prayed for everybody. Well and he's a Christian. Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 10, woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their, of their rights and make women and children their prey. The Bible calls whenever you just put on a face in a time of crisis but continue to do the same things, it call, it's called making graves look good that are still full of dead man's bones. In other words, it's hypocrisy. If Congress people pray for one another, and they should, P-R-A-Y. But then if they pass policies that pray P-R-E-Y on the poor and on minorities and the sick, then we have a serious moral problem. And even our Constitution, George, says the only way you can get to domestic tranquility, the only way you can get to civility, is you must start with the establishment of justice, you must provide for the common good, and you must promote the general welfare. Changing the tone of words is not enough. Uh, you have to have a change in the tra trajectory of policy. Prayer is not enough. Faith must have works. So I'm praying that the brother gets up and lives and then comes back and says, you know, this experience has changed my thinking fundamentally, not just about myself, but about the policies I support. And lastly, George, they talked about raising a million dollars for charity. That is good. But if you turn around and take $600 billion... Joe Kennedy just said something very interesting. He said health care should be a right. I would like to take that a step farther and go old school. The Republican plan basically says, let's let the states do this. Mark Sanford, the congressman from South Carolina, said, you know, Maine want to do one thing, and South Carolina want to have a more business-oriented model. This is called states' rights. The last time I checked, states' rights wasn't so great for civil rights. Mississippians in the 1960s should not have been able to vote on civil rights. The Supreme Court took care of that for us. I would suggest that access to health care is a civil right. Mm -hmm. And if you let states decide, 50 different states deciding whether your civil rights, whether you can walk into a hospital and get care, or for that matter, buy insurance, right. then yep. that's nothing but Jim Crow for health care. And, to and that, that's simply not okay. To that very point, I think that's an excellent point. No, I have not heard it sort of framed that way. I think it's important to, because, Kareen, in the state, the great state of Kentucky right now, the governor, Matt Bevin, who took over from Steve Beshear, a successful Democratic governor, has proposed taking 
taking Medicaid and turning it into sort of a points card system, where to earn points toward getting to go to the doctor, poor people, people working poor people, have to do things like pick up trash on the highway, okay. essentially sort of a peonage. Right. And there is this ethos that people who are on Medicaid don't deserve to have health care right. and ought to do something to essentially put themselves into the um, it, at the service of the rest right. of the country right. just to get to go to the dentist. Right. Isn't there also the perception that a lot of uh, Republicans, even in the base, even people who are on Obamacare and don't know it, have that somehow the Affordable Care Act was a giveaway to people of color? And which is, you know, you look at the places where they've refused to expand Medicaid, it's the South. It's in the old Confederate states where they have refused to put about four million people onto the Medicaid rolls out of this sense that this is sort of brown people who just want to take. And that is the reason they don't want to have it expanded. That could be part of it. It could be opposition to anything that President Obama did. We're the only industrialized nation not to provide health care from the cradle to the grave. Why are we not good enough in the United States of America, the greatest country in the world, to provide that that we see in country after country? You know, right now, Trump care plan, the 17% approval rating of it, it's the only thing less popular than Trump is his health care plan, yeah. which is a horrible plan. You know, there'd be limits on what your benefits can be on an annual basis, this right. will kill people. Why not just call it death to poor people? Maybe more people in the Freedom Caucus will actually support it then. Because that's what, <laughs> fundamentally, that's what they're doing. They're actually going to, they're going to result in no coverage for people. Joan, you've been covering the healthcare battles for seven plus years. I, I wonder what you're thinking. I'm thinking, what the hell kind of a country are we? Ari, that Michael has to lose sleep wondering if he can stay in his home with his family. I mean, what is this family supposed to do? Paul Ryan has been dreaming about cutting this program since he was sitting, hanging out at Keggers in college. He's told that story. What kind of a That's, man is he? What kind of a monster is he? Who dreams of cutting Medicaid? They act like people are merely takers. Mm -hmm. They don't act like they understand hardship of any kind. Paul Ryan, who actually got Social Security as a survivor when his father died, God bless him. I mean, the cruelty, Karen uses that word, it's the only word we can use, the cruelty of this bill is beyond belief. And if Donald Trump is really going to go along with this, don't like the man, didn't vote for him, but he promised not to do this. There has to be a way to reach the consciences of multiple Republicans on this bill. And I think you've begun to do that tonight. And well, thank you, Karen and, and Michael. Yeah, and, and Nancy, how about that? Because when we listened to Mike uh, and he told us that he's been scared since the election, obviously he's listened and analyzed and done his own work. Uh, we, we heard from a candidate, we played it earlier this hour, who said on, on the facts, on the record, that he wasn't going to cut Medicaid, right. although that's clearly what this bill does. Right. So obviously something's come through here between the promises the president made and, and what is in this health care bill. I, I'm so overwhelmed at Mike and Karen, I don't even really know what to say. I mean, for starters, that anybody could think the kind of care that he gets and that his mom supports him in getting is a luxury and not something that is as right as a human being. I just find appalling. Um, I, 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 I echo what Joan said. I, I just, I'm, I'm really confused about what kind of country we are. We're, we're, we're revealed by how we treat our most vulnerable citizens and that an inefficient system that profits some people could mean that an earned right, not a, 
you know, not a gift. I mean, Medicaid and Social Security, they're not gifts. They're, they're, these are things that we earn, that something like that could be denied someone like Mike who has thrived and used it and is able to express himself to, to not have a chance for his voice to be expressed is just criminal. It's What's interesting is that she said that um, Jesus tells Mike Pence things to say. Um, when was she around I mean, Mike Pence, though? Well, because obviously she was around him because she, she knows more, uh, a lot more than I think that, that we all know about Mike Pence. But I, what I do know about Mike Pence is I went to law school in Indiana. He is a hated figure there, actually. He's not very popular at all. And I think when you have a Mike Pence that now sort of puts this religious veneer on things and calls people values voters, I think we're in a dangerous situation. Look, I'm Catholic. I, I'm a faithful person but i don't know that i want my vice president um well, you know, speaking in tongues and having jesus speak like to i it. said before i don't know if i want it's that. one thing to talk to jesus it's another thing when jesus talks to you exactly okay well that's different If I'm not correct, but no, I'm, I'm hearing voices. How is the Trump administration a values-driven administration? I mean, we have talking about being values in a lot of times. I don't in reference to being pro-life, I which I assume those, you said I don't you were. See, at one I don't point see time the values of that administration show, with Rob Porter beating. Oh. beating. Know, but val, val, in the political term of what it means mm -hmm. is being valuing life. That is a it is a old term that's been used no, in politics. No, no, Megan, that's not with true. The Trump administration. Values-driven means not only being pro-life. It means being pro um, uh, marriage. It means being pro having good pro values. It means pro, pro compassion, pro empathy. You know exactly, pro empathy. So many things. It's that not goes only into about uh, pro life. life. And the bottom line is, this administration is not a values-driven administration. You have too early people so beating each other's wives. Because I think that I think that <laughs> I don't want to. I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound disrespectful. But I understand if you're a liberal, obviously you have certain problems with Mike Pence. Obviously, like we we'd see the world through very different veneers, but I think sort of Why am I being around... I just assumed you were because that's not very good to say, but the word assume. Okay. <laughs> well, there's, there's very few you things you've said on this show that show me. I apologize. You are conservative, I guess. I don't. I don't. You know what? She's I'm, not, I'm not in this fight today. For the nation to move on, the president must move out. You know who said that? Who? Vice President Mike Pence wrote it in the 90s about Bill Clinton. Now he is apparently immune to hypocrisy. But what does that tell you about what you're up against? That was then, this is now. We're up against tribalism. We're up against people who will lie still and cheat, lie to their own mother, lie to themselves about what's right for this country, about truth and about facts, that they will ignore any misgiving, any terrible deed, any awful saying, they will just ignore it for their own political purpose. They will ignore the bigotry and the pettiness and the childishness about, about what Donald Trump said about me and LeBron James and others just because they want to gain some sort of political clout or they want a few more dollars in tax money. At what cost? Listen, I, I, you know, Chris, we don't take this lightly. When, when this president, when this man was on the campaign trail, we tried every, with every bone in our being to be objective and to report on him uh, in a fair, equitable manner. And then when he, he became president of the United States, the same thing. It always gets me when people say, well, there's 90%, the study shows that 90% of the reports about this president are negative. But they don't talk about the things that come out of his mouth and the policies that he proposes and what he does and says to people. How, how 
are we as media to report positively on something that's negative? The president called countries asshole countries. Oh, well, that's great. He should be calling. We don't do that. You don't call countries asshole countries. You don't do things like that. You don't talk about people um, in the way that this president does, at least if you're a president of the United States, you're not supposed to. So that whole thing about the, the media is biased and that 90 percent of what we report about Donald Trump is negative. If that is indeed true, then you need to counterbalance that and weigh it against what comes out of this president's mouth and what he is doing. No, I, I like the idea that, that, that you know, you see use the examples, the bad example of, like, what would be the core that would say it was okay for Donald Trump to dissolve media institutions because media institutions are super unpopular. I would like a pollster to test this question. How many people in the Republican Party think that it would be okay for Donald Trump to dissolve their own grandparents? I'm virtually certain that if it was a Donald Trump-related question, you'd get, like, 10% that would be like, Donald Trump has the power to do whatever he wants, including kill my parents. You know, like, that's the strength to which I'm, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic. Don't make so appalled. I'm not I'm appalled. Make, I was just working through it. I'm trying to make the like. point. Of, I think yeah. it's just a. I think it's kind of a. It's a, it's a test. There are certain things saying. that that there is some number of people who they to Noah's point that they just hear the question as the media is trying to test my loyalty to Donald Trump. And if it's a question of whether Trump has the authority to do anything, they will say yes no matter what that thing it's, is. It's his test question if I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and they'd stay with me. That was where I was trying right. to get to, although bring it a little closer to home <laughs> to make it their own parents or grandparents. What? Boy, this show got dark <laughs> real fast. So this is giving me a, a flashback to all the disgusting things that I thought about Brett Kavanaugh last year. We'll go through the technical things first. There's the mysterious death. We don't know where that went. We have no idea where that went. Right. I don't know anybody who spends that much money on national tickets, right? That didn't make any sense to me. Then you have the thousands of legal documents, right? right? Things that he wrote in the Bush administration that Republicans wouldn't turn forward. Then you have a history of sexual assault. I said last year, Joy, I've never heard of a guy who's a one-time rapist. I've never heard of a guy who's a one-time sexual assaulter. I grew up with guys like this. He's from around this area, right? He's the fifth guy in a gang rape, okay? He's the guy who comes in after he's drunk because everybody else encourages him. He can get away with him. He's been pretty much covered his entire life. And now he's on the Supreme Court where he can move that same despicable misogynistic attitude that he's gotten away with his entirely cowardly life to the greatest misogynist of all, which is the President of the United States. And lastly, I'll say this, and it's just like your last guest mentioned. It has amazed me that we have an administration that out of the millions of people who are qualified in this country of all races and genders, they consistently find men who beat, abuse, and sexually assault women. This ain't the first, the second, the fourth, or even the fifth guy that we have found like this nest of vipers that has invested this entire state. And I, I am... I'm not surprised that we found this out about Brett Kavanaugh, but I will be equally disgusted because if we don't have a Speaker of the House who will go after the President for this kind of behavior, I doubt she'll do anything about Brett Kavanaugh. What was the more likely cause of the Oklahoma City bombing, talk radio or Bill Clinton and Janet Reno's hands-on management of Waco, the Branch Davidian compound? Well, obviously the answer is talk radio, specifically Rush Limbaugh's hate radio. Frankly, Rush, you have that blood on your hands now, and you have had it for 15 years. That's a decade. It just ratcheted it up. We used to think Oberman's bad. Now on primetime news, they said the same thing. The same thing. And all they do is hail Obama or others. Here's a quick article on the media and their heroes. You have Hillary with Charlie Rose, Bar Barbara Walters, all these little... Uh, Joy Reid, if you look at Hillary Clinton qualification, I mean, my God, you know, since the founding fathers, has anyone tried to run for president with more of a resume? 
Tamara Keith to Clinton on June 6, 2016. Madam Secretary, last night when you took stage in Sacramento, there was a woman standing next to me who was absolutely sobbing. And she said, you know, it's time. It's past time. And you see the woman, you see people here, and people just come up to you, and they got tears in their eyes. Do you feel the weight of what it means? So Clinton, we had so much Clinton. Then we had Bill Clinton. People are putting... I see you putting on this event. They heard you at the convention make a barnstorming speech, an incredible speech. Didn't seem to work, did it? I was there. You electrified the place. Um, and they all say, why do we have a goddamn 22nd Amendment? Why couldn't Bill Clinton just run again and be president for the next 30 years? That's the media. Beto. All the things we played on Beto. AOC. All the things. I don't even have to read it. It's just non-stop. If you're going to turn on your TV, you are going to see nothing but the left is holy, sanctified. Their ideas are perfect, as Chuck Todd says. They're embellishments of everything. Oh, that's just politics. But when somebody else does it, that is un-American. That's unpatriotic. Then we have the Obamagasms. This is a decade. I mean, Chris Matthews tingling down the leg. It, it, it's it, it just, fuck it. it. That was the first, but this is one of my favorites, too. This guy's done everything right. He raised his family law uh, right. He's fought his way all the way to the top of Harvard Law Review, and a blind test becomes head of the review, top editor there. Eventually, he's done as clean as a whistle. He's never not only broken any laws, never done anything wrong. He's a perfect father, a perfect husband, a perfect American. And all they do is trash this guy. Yeah. Stephen, uh, Mar- Stephen March in a column for the magazine. How can we not love Obama? Because like it or not, he is all of us. I'm not reading it, but that, that's literally an article. A Newsweek inauguration 2013. The second coming America expects can he deliver? Michael Eric Dyson, race hustler. On Melissa Harris Perry, racist. You know, I'm a Christian preacher. My God finally said, look, I can't send nobody else. I got to go myself. And I ain't saying that Obama's Jesus. For many of his followers, he is. CBS Dick Meyer. Americans are lucky to have Barack Obama as president. And we should wake up and appreciate it while we can. President Obama go down in history as an extraordinary president. Probably a great one. Be the moral bo- morale booster and a sign of civic maturity if more Americans appreciate what an exceptional president they have right now. Oh, really? Charlie Rose, I want to raise two big issues about him that are fascinating to me and John, all of you. How smart is he? What's the sense of it? Is he one of our brightest presidents? Newsweek official Twitter account. Really, has there ever been a president that's more cooler than Obama? And I'm not going to go on. They, they talk about Lincoln. Bear Grylls sucked his ass. It has been non-stop Obama, and nobody else is good enough. Nobody. They tried to say Hillary, but it just didn't work. Then there's celebrity freakouts. For this decade, from 2011 to now... Nothing but just fucking over-the-top celebrity shit carried like it's really important. Um, Rob Reiner, 
Hitler, by the way, never got more than 33% of the vote ever in Germany. He wasn't a majority guy and he was charismatic. And they have, we're having bad economic times. Isn't it amazing how liberals know so much about Nazis? Uh, just like we are now, people are walk, are, we're out of work, they need jobs, the guy came along, rallied the troops. My fear is that the Tea Party gets charismatic leader because all they are selling is fear and anger, and that's all Hitler sold. I'm angry and I'm frightened and you should hate that guy over there. That was from 2010. Tea Party's the Klan, Sean Penn. You have what I call the get the N-word out of White House party, the Tea Party. At the end of the day, there's a big bubble coming out of their head saying, you know, can we just lynch him? Yeah, that's what they're that, that's what they're doing. Oliver Stone narrating the December thirty first, twenty twelve installment of Showtime's ten part Oliver Stone Untold History of the United States. What is a Reagan real legacy? He deregulated industry, eroded environmental standards, defiantly ripped down the solar panels. Jimmy Carter put Jimmy Carter put on the White House. Weakened the middle class, busted out unions, heightened the ra- racial divide, widened the gap between rich and poor. As far as Reagan's much vaunted role in winning the Cold War, the lion's share of the credit goes to Gorbachev. <laughs> Michael Moore's there. I, I'm not doing it. Bill Maher, George Bush over the Memorial Day weekend held the Wounded Warrior bike ride. What was kind of a celebration for wounded warriors who came back from Iraq, and I guess they walked or ran or something on their prosthetic limbs. And I found this to be nauseating. I mean, first he sends them over to war to get their limbs blown off, and then he has them over for a barbecue. This is like Cleveland guy having a giant pizza party for the girls he had in his basement. Gwyneth Paltrow introducing President Obama on October 9th DNC fundraiser. I'm one of your biggest fans, and not the biggest and have been since the inception of your campaign. It would be wonderful if we were able to give this man all the power that he needs to pass, the things that he needs to pass. You're so handsome that I can't speak properly. Harvey Weinstein, because remember, he was brought on. He was a hero. A hero. This is the only country in the world where we don't have health care. Countries embarrasses around the world. This is the only country in the world where we don't have a gun law. We don't have any gun laws. Oh, really? I watched you, you know, talk about that. You know, quite frankly, it's embarrassing. Obama's not embarrassing. The country's embarrassing. Carve Hillary's face into Mount Rushmore. Ashley Judd. Madonna introducing Amy Schumer. If you vote for Hillary Clinton, I'll give you a blowjob. Who are Trump supporters? This is from uh, May 5th, 2016. Willie Geist, how do you explain the millions and millions of people who do not watch the show actually like what they hear from Donald Trump and aren't taking messages and orders from us in the media, but they listen to what he says for themselves and votes for him? How do you explain that? Well, there's a lot of people who are racist in the country. Rob Reiner. Ashley Judd, Women's March. Not playing it. Played it all last year, year before. Um... Johnny Depp, Glassberry, Glassstone, Glastonbury Festival. Can we bring Trump here? I think he needs help. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? Colbert. Mr. President, your presidency, I love your presidency. I call it disgrace the nation. You're not the POTUS, you're the BLOTUS. Biggest liar in the United States. You're a glutton with a button. You're a regular George Washington. George Washington, you are a prince, princey dunce 
but are turning into a real prictator, sir. You track more skinheads than free Rogaine. You have more people marching against you than cancer. You talk like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is putting Putin's cock in it. It goes on. There, there's just so much. I mean, Baron Trump getting bashed. Every one of our betters just hate any conservative. I mean, it's just not Trump. It's any conservative. As evident by this lengthy TDS soundbite, they just hate anybody who doesn't think like them. And Trump, he's the object of their hate. These are not words of sanity. These are the rages and the boasts and the madness that we have seen throughout history. Saddam Hussein, Mussolini, Fidel Castro, Mao Zedong, Stalin, Pol Pot, Bin Laden, Hitler. Well, what do you say to that? I'm just going to speak from the heart here. What we have witnessed was a total eclipse of the facts. Someone who came out on stage and lied directly to the American people and left things out that he said in an attempt to rewrite history, especially when it comes to Charlottesville. He's unhinged. It's embarrassing. And I don't mean for us, the media, because he went after us, but for the country. This is who we elected president of the United States, a man who is so petty that he has to go after people who he deems to be his enemy like an imaginary friend of a six-year-old his speech was without thought it was without reason it was devoid of facts it was devoid of wisdom there was no gravitas there was no sanity there he was like a child blaming a sibling on something else he did it I didn't do it he certainly opened up the race wound from Charlottesville a man clearly wounded by the rational people who are abandoning him in droves meaning those business people and the people in Washington now who are questioning his fitness for office and whether he is stable. A man backed into a corner, it seems, by circumstances beyond his control and beyond his understanding. That's the truth. If you watch that speech as an American, you had to be thinking, what in the world is going on? This is the person we elected as a president of the United States, this petty, this small, the person who's supposed to pull the country together, certainly didn't happen there. Well, I thought that that, that was a president totally unhinged. I, there's uh, little doubt about that uh, for anyone watching. I, I, I do think you get at a point. This is this is the evidence that backs up. Bob Corker questioning his stability for office. This is the evidence as to why Susan Collins, another Republican senator, uh, isn't so sure he may be around to run for re-election uh, in 2020. This is evidence as to why the Republican leader in the United States, and again, I'm only referring to people from his own party in case people think uh, this is a a partisan political issue. It's not. Why Mitch McConnell, the leader of his own party, is telling people and associates, we learned from the New York Times tonight, that he's not sure this presidency is going to uh, sort of fill out the duration of the term, uh, questioning whether or not this presidency is permanently off course. This is the evidence that it is so severely off course, you can't see the course. It's hard to see how he's going to get back on. 
And the fact that the President of the United States came out tonight, and again, as you said, it's not about attacking us. I, that's fine. I, I, although we in the press are going to be the last people to take lessons from Donald Trump on truth-telling and facts. Who has lied over a but, thousand times but, since he's taken office. Because that's on. absurd. But the fact that this is one night after he appealed to the country about unity, about coming together, about peace and love. These were the words he used last night at the top of his speech before he got to the Afghanistan section because he was still trying to do some cleanup on Charlottesville and really tried to talk about the notion of love and peace and unity. And this was nothing but a speech of division. Gene, I do not understand why a president of the United States with a, with a normal psychological condition would, would brag in saying that I went to an Ivy League school. Here's the guy that ran with the regular people that didn't like the, yeah. uh, the academic, etc. elite. And there he is saying, hey, I went to Penn. Yeah, hey, exactly. hey, I'm well, civil. I was nice in school. I'm waiting for Amy Gutman, the president of Penn, to just say, he didn't really go here. <laughs> I, I, I am tired of him saying, he went there for two years. I'm waiting for, Fordham never claims him, by the way. That Fordham had him for two years. They never claimed the guy. Well, Your thoughts. Look, you qualified uh, those remarks by, with a normal psychological condition, right? And, and I don't think that's what we're dealing with here. Um, I don't, I'm not sure he knows what the word civil means um, or civility is, um, because clearly that's something he ain't. You know, now, we get all outraged for a few days over the latest incivility, if you want, coming from Donald Trump, whatever tweet or remark he made about a Gold Star family. And that, that it's fine. We should note these things and catalog them. But you three have already touched on the central problem here, and that is that Donald Trump is a deeply damaged human being. He is a sociopathic, malignant narcissist, and he happens to be the, you know, the electoral system, not the American people, but the electoral college has sort of vomited this thing up okay. and it landed in the Oval <laughs> Office and it needs to be removed. It's a stain, it's a, okay. it's a big glob on the carpet there. It needs to be removed and that means impeachment of the 25th Amendment. This man is a okay. danger to the world. He was a coward. He didn't have the spine to behave like the leader of the United States and I feel that to be shameful. And I'm glad Republicans are calling him out on it. I'm glad elected leaders in the Republican Party are finally, finally stopping to and stopping looking the other way mm -hmm. and confronting the fact that he's not only unfit to be president. In my book, his lack of empathy, his lack of leadership, his lack of courage, he's unfit to be human. I think it's the spiritual leaders. I think it's the governors. I think it's the other elected leaders. I think it's U.S. citizens. I think it's regular people that need to step up. And we need to be the ones that unify and heal ourselves because the president of the United States is a shameful nincompoop, incapable of doing it on his own. All these white supremacist groups, it's pretty clear they know how to play the media and get media attention and get their message out there and bring in new members. They mention Donald Trump's name, they get in the media, and people pay attention to them. Whether it's David Duke or this crazy magazine that I've never heard of until this weekend, now they have people that have literally found them and people that are going to focus on them and maybe even join them. So I, I expect them to play us this way, and I don't think we should give them credibility. It's easy to go out there and throw bombs. It's easy to say the president's an income pooper, not a human, as Anna just said. But when you're the president and you see violence like this, we know what many times happens at night afterwards. There are people that are angry on both sides. They go back out. There are riots, people die, policemen die. We've seen this in different venues around the country over the last several years. And I think he had a... Terry Moran, as we see former Vice President Cheney leave. Students of history will take note of that slogan, America first.
It's a loaded term in American history. Now, he defined it here as total allegiance to the United States of America. And, and it is something, as Cecilia said, this is why he was sent here, by people who want to hear that message of America first. However, it carries with it overtones from the 1930s when an anti-Semitic movement saying we don't want to get involved in Europe's war. It's the Jews' fault in Germany. Charles Lindbergh led them. It is a, it is a, a term, as he defined it his way, but the words themselves carry very ugly echoes in our history. What's going on right now at the border? Uh, is un-American. And I will tell you, a lot of Catholics uh, uh, leaders have come out and said it is un-Christ-like. Public defenders uh, uh, in the federal courts down there in McAllen, Texas, reporting uh, that, that children are being told uh, and their parents are being told that they're being taken off to the showers and that they'll return. And they never return. You know, I, I don't have to compare that to previous regimes in other horrific countries. That, that conclusion actually is too obvious. Um, this is Donald Trump's America. And yes, it sounds like something we would be condemning coming out of North Korea. That's our America, Mika. And sadly, that's our Republican Party. And that is the problem today. We're living in a country that is so addicted. We got a guy who gets up every morning and excretes the feces of his moral depravity oh. into a nation he has turned into a psychic commode. Oh my God. That's what he's done. And oh he is God. the bigot in chief and a racist in residence. Look, I argued with black people who told me there was no difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Slow down with that mace, you're killing him. Yeah. There's a huge difference, right? And people say, well, Hillary Clinton wasn't likable. She ain't trying to be your girlfriend. She got a man. Mm -hmm. She's trying to run the nation. She has more knowledge in her little finger than this man has in his entire body. And, and on top of that, and on top of that, she also possessed a kind of integrity. We were doubtful of her. Look at this mendacious, relentlessly lying, bigoted, ill-informed person that we have. He is the fleshly thesaurus of white supremacy reduced to one body. So, yes, the Democratic Party has been problematic, but it ain't enough to drive me to people who not only ignore me, but who don't understand. The Republicans don't understand they have an inbuilt advantage. Black people are morally conservative, even if they're politically progressive. They go to church. They read mm -hmm. the Ten Commandments. Yeah. If Republicans weren't so racist, they could encourage black people who are morally conservative to be on their side. I'm always arguing against okay. black people in church about homophobia, mm -hmm. about the place of women, but I know that okay. there are some deeply rooted conservative values that need to be taken advantage of if Republicans weren't so bigoted and weren't so racist. Instead of 12 days of Christmas, we've had, including today, 12 days of a government shutdown. He is desperate because he fears the Mueller investigation. This serves as a distraction and gins up a base that frankly, Chris, doesn't like the federal government anyway. They could care less, his base could care less if the government is open. But think about this in terms of this wall. We just celebrated Christmas, or at least tried to. Federal workers, I was reading online, Time Magazine did a piece, some federal workers who aren't getting paychecks are having to return their Christmas gifts, okay? Having to seek second jobs. That's just not right. These are the people that work for him. And as far as this wall is concerned, you know, we just celebrated the birth of Jesus, who was part of an immigrant family seeking political asylum in another country from King Herod's we violence. We heard a lot from evangelicals on this. And, and, but see, if, but we should because if they were true to themselves, if Jesus were today or Trump was back then, 
he would have been separated from his parents. Joseph and Mary would have been put in a separate detention center. He would have been put in a separate detention center. And he might likely have, have died in custody like another child did over the holidays. So, Peter, the president stopped tweeting about the wall long enough to uh, tweet a response to Mitt Romney, who had a, an op-ed in the Washington Post today. Uh, in it, he separates the president's policies, which some of which, anyway, he supports, from the president whose character he criticizes. You tweeted Romney is showing how you can be a Republican and not lose your integrity in the age of Trump. What do you mean by that? Well, because uh, Mitt Romney's spoken up and indicated that he is going to be a voice of conscience. So when Donald Trump crosses lines, transgresses norms, he's going to be called out. Um, not many Republicans have done that. A uh, few have, Jeff Flake, uh, Bob Corker, Ben Sass, but it's, well, not, it's not... in fact, that's what the president tweeted back. You know, he hopes you don't flake out on me. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, one would, ex one would expect that. I do think it's significant that Mitt Romney is an incoming senator, not an outgoing one. That's different than, than Flake and, uh, and Corker. The other thing is... And he's also in a state, let's be clear here, where his, he and his family are royalty. It's not like he's worried that this op-ed is going to get him in trouble with his constituents. Sure, he's got some latitude uh, because Mormons, to their credit, uh, take moral character seriously in a way that a lot of other uh, groups, evangelical Christians these days, many of them, uh, don't. So he's got more latitude. But look, it's, he still means he's going to get some incoming fire, as we saw today, and it'll increase. But Mitt Romney is fundamentally a man of decency uh, to his core, and, and I think that he finds, rightly so, that Donald Trump is, is, is indecent. Enough is enough, and I want, I want to talk to the white people out there, okay? I want to talk to wealthy white people, because I've had it. I've had discussions when I talk to friends, people I know. It's good for the economy, but it's good for the economy, they're all jerks anyway. No. No, it's time. By the way, if you're somebody who's poor, and you believe Donald Trump is going to get you a job, maybe you don't have the luxury of a moral imperative, okay? But everybody else, shame on you at this point. Enough. This is where you stand up, and if you don't, you own it. And I talked about this yesterday. You are no different then. If you were on a subway train, and you saw four white nationalists screaming, and an African-American woman, go home, go back where you came from. If you vote for Trump, it's like you're going like this, and own it. No more he's good for the economy. No more, well, they're all jerks. He just says these things. We are heading to such a dangerous place, and guess what? You look at history, it can happen here. Maybe it's the Jews next. Oh, 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 I forgot. His daughter's married to a Jew. Who says? Who says? You know, and I come from a, a place, I come from a, a group of people where it happened to. Six million of them. And I, I'm not saying he, Trump, is that person. But every playbook that's happening, every single playbook, creating the other, getting rich people to look the other way, getting people to not trust the press, getting the judicial system in your pocket, getting an entire branch of government, the legislative branch, the, I mean the Republicans, to just march with you, to act above the law, to say that you're going to put your adversaries in jail. What else do we... And now, hey, you dark person, if you don't like it here, go back from where you came. Boy, it's time for us and time for white people, who maybe it's not so great for your pocketbook, go in and look at your children and decide who you are. So to that point, um, uh, I have a message to those words, but you know, you mentioned the word fascist in Nuremberg. I, I want to send our audience to two articles, one by Tom Snyder in the New York Times, June 14th, How Did the Nazis Gain Power in Germany, and one by Waitman Wade Bourne in the Washington Post. It's not wrong to uh, Trump's America or the Holocaust. And, and 
the, I want people to go back and look at Nazi Germany in the early 30s because the parallels are stunning. Stunning and we be, oh, it can't happen here, it can't happen here. It can happen here. And I want to challenge people. Where, I, I did this the other day. I want to challenge people of means. I'm not talking about people who need a job and believe Trump is going to get it for him. If you vote for Trump, you can no longer now say, well, he's good for the economy, you know, and he's good for Israel. By the way, he would throw Israel overboard in a second if it was better for him. Do not kid yourself. And you own it now. You know, if you're the person that votes for mm -hmm. Donald Trump, you are no different than if you were watching on the subway five white nationalists berate an African-American woman saying, go back to where you came from, and then you hid and you put your head home. You can't hide behind the economy anymore. You own it. You don't get to do that anymore. I think that's critical. It's, you know, it's interesting. We keep talking about race. We keep always talking about minorities. It's on white people. It really, really is. You don't get to say, he's good for the economy, and they all say stuff like that. No, they don't. This is a man yeah. with Nazi tendencies. Well, I'm not going to use the word fascist anymore. And I don't have to go through the list. And if reporters asked him, Mr. President, do you think you should stay beyond eight years? He'll give you his honest answers because they show themselves. Mr. President, do you think your opponents, do you think people in the press should be put in jail? He'll answer it. Let's see who's there. And by the way, he did went into this rant the week after he got his highest approving ratings ever, his 45%. It shows when he's feeling power what he's capable of. I believe he is capable of the worst, and it's time for people to choose sides. No more it's good for the well. She looks down with contempt on the hard-working Americans, saying that ignorance is pervasive in many parts of this country. And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic Screeds. That's a president, actually, uh, from his Nuremberg rally from last night. Which yeah, something like you're that. You're fortunate enough to get some two uh, days. So, um, John Heilman, uh, it's hard to say, actually. That this is shocking, uh, given everything that has preceded uh, this moment. Perhaps everything has led up to this. Uh, but this is the low point of, I, I, I think it's the low point of the Trump presidency. And I would hope, after last night's shocking display, in any other context, under any other president, uh, at any other time in American history, um, that we can go ahead and just be done with uh, the fiction that Donald Trump uh, is, is a bad guy uh, running the, the country. But those at the rally, uh, we, need to, we need to try to figure out how to understand them a bit more. They once again made themselves perfectly clear last night. At exactly 6.47 Eastern Time, we're going to learn who is the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. The race comes down to frontrunner, former Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, and the current Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt in his latest column for the Financial Times entitled Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, and Lessons from the 1930s, Gideon Rackman asks, when is it right to sound the alarm about political turmoil?
He writes in part this. The complaints by today's populists that a deep state in the U.S. and Britain is thwarting the will of the people is reminiscent of Sebastian Hafner's description of the far right in Germany in the 1920s. With deep hatred, they coined the word system for the impalpable force that held them within bounds. For the moment, at least, they were held within bounds. A well-read young lawyer, Hafner, nurtured a deep intellectual contempt for the Nazis and their revolting jargon, every syllable of which implied a violent stupidity. But this contempt turned out to be a political trap because I was inclined not to take them very seriously, a common attitude among their inexperienced opponents, which helped them a lot. Let me, Gene Robinson, very quickly, uh, we, we, before we go to Bill this Neely in really London, uh, when do you sound that political uh, alarm? There are certain things we are not allowed to say, but I must say the last week, uh, we have seen the United yeah. States of America go from electing a candidate who promised to keep Muslims out of America, mm -hmm. who, who prayed against that discrimination and that bigotry, talking about a Muslim registry like mm -hmm. the Nazis had, a Jewish registry. And now we've moved from that to a president who is now talking about kicking out American citizens. Be they Muslims, or Hispanics, or black women that he just doesn't like, which he says they are, quote, lucky to be here. So we look at this FT article, and I'm wondering, Gene, when is the time to sound the alarm? When is the time to start saying, well, does this look like Germany in 1932? Does this look like Germany in 1933? Is now the time to start asking that question? Well, the time to start sounding an alarm... Uh, a general alarm was was some time ago, uh, and it, and people should be screaming now. I mean, the alarm should be at full volume. Uh, you know, one, one thing you um, most columnists um, wisely resolve uh, is uh, don't bring out the 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 Hitler Germany analogy. Uh, you know that that's you, you never use that. Um, we're getting close. I mean, we're getting to the point where you you need to start just looking at the historical precedent and and understanding that um, you know history doesn't repeat it it rhymes. But uh, there are some awful awful things happening in the great democracies uh, that that sort of uphold the Western um, uh, Western values and, and and Western order and have done so for decades and uh, you know the United States and Britain and uh, this is crazy and it 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 does not end well there could be another Oklahoma City bombing, you know, it, 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 or something like that. I mean, we're going to have uh, the equivalent of a, of a, of a racist right-wing um, white nationalist 9-11 here, I, I, I think, and I make that prediction. Um, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. And, uh, and yet, no, I, not, I have no, no confidence. Not only, there are a lot of things he can do. But he won't. And so you have to ask the question, Joe. And I'll ask you. Isn't it okay to deduce that at this point, this is what he wants? He is inciting hatred, inciting violence, inciting racism. If he doesn't unequivocally call it off 
and say this is wrong and we stand together against this and we are doing this this and this to help fight hate crime i mean this is a president who seems to want these things to happen how else can can this be explained uh, it's hard to be a parent tonight for a lot of us. Uh, you tell your kids, don't be a bully. You tell your kids, don't be a bigot. You tell your kids, do your homework and be prepared. And then you have this outcome and you have people putting children to bed tonight. And they, they're afraid of breakfast. They're afraid of how do I explain this to my children? This was a white lash. This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a... I mean, it, it just goes on and on. And, and once again, it, it the, the hate probably wouldn't be as bad if it wasn't Trump, but it would still be there. Look at Bush. We started the millennia with Bush is Satan. He's a Nazi. He's a monkey. He's stupid. He can't speak. And it just it just ratcheted up to where we are now. It's just anybody who doesn't think like a prog is horrible. It's a horrible human being. And you have Chuck Todd going, we're not even going to cover him because it's just misinformation. Anything that doesn't conform to what we think, what we say, what we report, it's a lie. That is just amazing transformation in just this decade. From 2011 to now. Because if you remember when we started 2011, you can keep your doctor. Fucking Benghazi. All that shit happened. Nobody fucking cared. The IRS was over, but nobody cared. They just didn't fucking care. That's just right wing. You just hate him because he's black. Tea Party are a bunch of racists. Antifa and the Women's March are fucking patriots. It's fucking embarrassing. It just really is. So we end this section, because once again, I just wanted to touch January, do some of the year-end stuff. I admitted, you know, we have a couple. Well, let's ignore this. The view is a stupid one. I really don't care. Here's some of the silly analysis that we had. Was this in the decade? uh, Worst of the decade, silliest analysis. All this week, uh, okay, on Monday, we're presenting the... Okay, fuck it, let's get to this damn thing. Today, we finished a series of silliest analysis of the decade. From Chris Matthews spacing out during Barack Obama's State of the Union address to multiple journalists being embarrassed by the monumental mistake of American founding, the following are some of the most idiotic and silliest bits of analysis 2010. Chris Matthews, during live coverage following State of the Union. You know, I was trying to think about who he was tonight, and it's interesting. He's post-racial by all appearances, you know. I forgot he was black tonight. How can you say that? Bill Press on full court. I mean, when you think about it, it's bombs bursting in air, rockets, red glare. It's all kinds of, you know, a lot of national anthems are that way, too. All kinds of military jargon. And the land, there's only one phrase, the land of the free, which is kind of nice. And the home of the brave. I don't know. Are we Americans the only ones who are brave on the planet? I mean, all the brave people live here. I mean, it's just stupid. I think it's, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed every time I hear it. <laughs> Thank you, Gunny. I accidentally hit Gunny, and he just went the fuck off about that. I mean, that I remember that. I remember just fucking losing my mind over it. Like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. You actually said that? Uncomfortable with calling veterans heroes. Do you remember this? Chris Hayes. 
I think it's very difficult to talk about the war dead and the fallen without invoking valor, without invoking the words hero. I feel comfortable, well, uh, uncomfortable with the word hero, because it seems to me that it's so rhetorically proximate to justifications for more war. And I don't want to obviously desecrate or disrespect memory of anyone that's fallen, and obviously there are individual circumstances in which there is genuine and tremendous heroism, hail of gunfire, rescue fellow soldiers, things like that. But it seems to me that we marshal this word in a way that is problematic. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah, 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 you are. Uh, Eleanor uncovers the truth about Benghazi. Every media organization has investigated this Benghazi to death. The anime... This animates the right wing of the Republican Party, and I would like to point out that Ambassador Chris Stephen was not murdered. He died of smoke inhalation in a safe room in the CIA installation. Eleanor Clift. Shepard Smith. You know, the fear among anybody who's ever been there cares at all about the Cuban people, as so many of us do. The last thing they need is a Taco Bell and a Lowe's. I mean, we don't need uh, another person. Toilet paper, toothbrushes, right? Toothpaste? That's it. But, you know, it's one big idea, and it all sort of comes together, and you wonder, are we about to get up in there and ruin the place? America. Brian Williams. It's still one of those nations where you see donkey carts alongside cars, trucks, and buses in downtown Havana because that's exactly what they'd rather have for transportation. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure that's true. Dylan Matthews on Vox. American Revolution. Monumental Mistake. American independence in 1776 was a monumental mistake. I'm reasonably confident a world in which the revolution never happened would be better than the one we live in now for three main reasons. Slavery would have been abolished earlier. American Indians would have faced rampant persecutions, but not the outright ethnic cleansing. Andrew Jackson and other American leaders perpetrated, and America would have a parliamentary system of governance. Government spending in parliamentary countries is about 5% of GDP. Will Bunch, columnist for Philly. How the GOP produced the worst bill since the Fugitive Slave Act. And then Politico, Politico, chief political columnist, former U.S. News and World Report correspondent Roger Simmons. If it were possible, would you subtract one day off your life and add it to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life for one extra day of good health? If just 10,000 people did this, it would add 27 productive years to her life. That's our media. That's our media. I do it every podcast, and for those who knew the show, I'm not a Trump supporter. I could give a fuck about the GOP, even though I like when the presidents get raises. It's our media. We have not had a free press in my entire life. I'm fucking 52. It's always been like this. For those that are new, go back to just the last conventions in 2016. I did a show, and I went back in time. And it's always been the Democrats better, the Democrat conventions better, Republicans are racist and Nazis. It was more subtle, but now it's just outright. Every one of you. I mean, the view. Just a, the six bullet co- points from the view. Conservatives don't understand socialism. Could Trump base want him impeached? More jobs not good at an expense of the environment. D-Day when we fought for illegal immigrants' rights. You'll see 
impeachment will unify the country. Obviously, black people can't be racist. That sums up our media. That show sums up our media. Because it's a hit show. People glue into that shit. Those fucking morons. It's fucking depressing. So, another music break. Uh, we're going to do uh, Shell Shocked. And we'll go into news, social, media nuggets.
All right, college crazy starts us off. Craziest college courses. We covered most of these, but I just love touching them. KU offers angry white male course. Pen queering God course. I, I lost my fucking mind on that one. Um, USC belly dancing course. USC anime writing course. But can't do the actual state required constitution one. This year's most unbelievable student government initiatives. Initiatives. Law firm demands UGA rescind unconstitutional resolutions. Student government at U- University of Georgia disregarded the basic principle of freedom of speech when the resolution attempted to ban pro-life displays. I think we covered that one on the show. Berkeley student government, $93 trillion Green New Deal is ultimately financially wise. Texas Christian College student government votes to ban Chick-fil-A. Oklahoma students governor, go- government ditches Boomer and Sooner. Remember that? <laughs> Arrested Texas student tries and fails to kick the police off campus. Goes to our leftist arrests. One, conservative suffers blow to face at Berkeley. We covered this one. Zachary Greenberg. Uh, five arrested, one charged at Ann Coulter speaking event at UC Berkeley. I remember that. Student arrested for attacking conservative activists. UC David student found himself in hot water after a confrontation with conservative activist and speaker Gabriel Nadels. Uh, number four, four arrested after, after student's mega hat is stolen. And five, professor arrested after taking part in a climate protest. Nathan Phillips with trespass. Do we remember that one? I do. Five most extreme cases of anti-Semitism on campus. Group of Stanford students circulate flyer of Ben Shapiro's face on an insect. I remember that. Yeah. Jewish student organization condemns white tears, Zionist tears, and fuck Zionist statement at Berkeley. That was a that was an April. I remember it. UCLA student filed federal complaint for anti-Semitism. Columbia SJP promotes Israel Apartheid Week, and SJP at Emory distributes fake eviction notices bashing Israel, calls for a boycott of Jewish groups. I remember that. Campus vandals, the top five, caught on video, hidden camera shows vandalism, conservative signs. Uh, conservative students call police after building the build the wall banner told that torn down. Four arrested after students' mega hat is stolen. That's a double tap. Vandals deem conservative group speech hateful. Destroy the property. That was the University of Michigan. Uh, talking, turning Point, USA. And lastly, smug vandals rip out pro-life crosses. We covered that on the show. Antifa rears its head on campus in 2019. One, alleged Antifa members hurl egg drink at Trump supporters. That was... Uh, what was that one? Salim, the assault came out to determine University of Washington, Seattle. Antifa set up recruitment shop, University of Florida. Philly Antifa promotes shutting down Candace Owen event. We covered that on the show. Second Amendment banner to face with Antifa sickle and hammer. That was at University of Florida again. Antifa threatens to shut down concerted event in Indiana. And I think they did. Then, of course, we have all the crazy protests. Students call on university to ban ICE contractors on campus. That was Carnegie Mellon. Uh, leftist students call Charlie Kirk conservative racist. 
Can't give any evidence. We just played that on the show. Students hold die-in protest fossil fuel stuff that literally kills people. A lot of climate this year. Um, I, it, it's, it's almost beating everybody's racist. Berkeley female professor wear beers to protest alleged gender bias. Remember that one? <laughs> and then, of course, the Harvard-Yale uh, protest. Then we have a specifically to combat climate change. Top five things. 50 climate protesters who disrupt Harvard-Yale football game are barely punished. Researchers at the University of Michigan have conducted a study attempting to address the myths surrounding climate change. We covered that on the show. Georgetown University climate rebuttal event held by the campus conservative group was shut down by clown with a bike horn. You remember that? I fucking remember that. The University of London bans burgers to combat climate change. And lastly, taxpayer money is used to fund Harvard climate change tree. Yeah. The witness tree. Remember, it's a Twitter account. It just tweets by itself, supposedly. Okay. Which brings us in to climate. We're going to do climate before gay because this year was a lot of fun on the show. For climate, so I, I want to start with the climate calamity, as I call it. We have the candidate who has the dark, foreboding future. That you know, if he was a conservative, it would be like Trump's inauguration speech. And then, of course, my favorite of the year: eat the fucking babies. most is the sunshine. But we've been here for a really long time now. Testing. One, two, three. Temperature today is 127 degrees Fahrenheit. The air quality index is at 420. This place makes me sad. Heightened chance of large-scale tornado. Makes mommy sad. Mommy says baby brother will be born soon. That it's not safe for him or for me. Anybody out there? Mommy and Daddy fight a lot, but they say it's not my fault. Mama? I just hope we can see the sunshine again one day. not the stuff of fiction or some far-off threat. California is in flames. The most destructive wildfire in the history of an entire town. This is a clear and present danger to life on Earth. This is uncharted territory. The strongest to ever hit the Officials are overwhelmed. A catastrophe of our own creation. A climate crisis that condemns our children to an ever hotter planet. Their only home ravaged by storms. At least three dozen tornadoes reported. The record-breaking storm. Floods. We're going to be here for much longer because of the climate crisis. We only have a few months left. 
I love that you support the Green Deal, but it's not getting, you know, getting rid of fossil fuel is not going to solve the problem fast enough. A Swedish professor saying, you know, we can eat de dead people, but that's not fast enough. So I think your next uh, campaign slogan has to be this. We got to start eating babies. We don't have enough time. There's too much CO2. All of you, you're, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. We have to start now, please. You are so great. I'm so happy that you're really supporting the Green Deal, but it's not enough. You know, even if we would bomb Russia, we still have too many people, too much pollution. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies is not enough. We need to eat the babies. And this is very serious. Please give a response. Okay, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. We'll go ahead. Um, okay. No, we'll we'll go ahead. It's so no no no. Yeah no. Thank you. So I think um. Yeah no. So one of the things that's very important to us is that we need to treat the climate crisis with the urgency that it does present. Um, luckily, we have more than a few months. We do need to hit net zero in several years. Um, but I think we all need to, to, to understand that there are a lot of solutions that we have um, and that we can pursue and that if we act in a positive way, there's space for hope. There's, we are never beyond hope. Okay. Then, of course, we have Miss Climate herself, Greta Thunberg. And if you really want to say what was the change in the climate stuff, that would be it. You never heard of her? At least I didn't in 2018. And she came out of nowhere. So I would play the Rise of Thunberg again. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna put, do the one, How dare you! And put them motherfucking leaders on the wall. My message is that we'll be watching you. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. 
popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees and the risk of setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points, most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution or the aspects of equity and climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. So a 50% risk is simply not acceptable to us, we who have to live with the consequences. To have a 67% chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees of global temperature rise, the best odds given by the IPCC, the world had 420 gigatons of CO2 left to emit back on January 1st, 2018. Today that figure is already down to less than 350 gigatons. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual and some technical solutions? With today's emissions levels, that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. The COP25 meeting which is happening in Madrid right now, is almost over. And we unfortunately probably already know the outcome. World leaders are still trying to run away from their responsibilities. But we have to make sure that they cannot do that. We will make sure they that we put them against the wall and that they will have to do their job and to protect our futures. I remember a few months ago when I first saw the pictures from the strike in Torino. And when I saw those pictures of countless of people just filling up the streets, I felt so hopeful. Millions of people saw those photographs and that gave hope to millions of people. So thank you to the city of Torino. Bravo! You know, that second part is 
chilling because it's like black Israelites and the good guy with the gun. You're just never going to hear it in the media. Nobody's going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. And part of it's because Trump and his Twitter account. I mean, if he wouldn't tweet, she's got anger management. And then, of course, this fulfill it. Well, then they might cover it for a second. But it always seems that our media, which, you know, it is what it is, that, you know, when the left does a terrible thing like 47%, we just bury that shit. I mean, let's just really think about bitter clingers, Joe the plumber. If those things were conservative, those things have been totally played differently. And I think back-to-back things this weekend with the, the... Hanukkah attack with a fucking machete and a good guy with a gun. That that's not covered that way, the way it would be covered if it was a neo-Nazi who walked in there and if it was an AR shooter. Just shows the Chuck Todd experiment. Sounds really smart, like he's an intellect. But it's just another way of them saying, uh, yeah, if we don't report it, it's not true, because we only report what's going to be good for progressives. That's just what we do. This year in the podcast, i got to admit, I probably came across like a huge trans home, gay batching, fuck a piece of shit, because it was the year of tranny, tranny, tranny. It kind of started last year. I guess 16 was, or 17 was a little... 18 was a lot, but this year was just all tranny, 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 tranny. So, gonna play some sound bites, and, and you can't start gay shit, especially this year, without the child abuse that now has become okay in the media and on the left. Desmond, amazing. Or fabulous, or whatever the fuck they're calling this little 9-year-old, 11-year-old boy now. It took me all weekend to get this soundbite. Because they don't want you to get this. Because this was on Good Morning America. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Little pump and cut. Hey. And if you haven't heard the name Desmond Napolis, get ready for this trailblazing 11-year-old drag kid who RuPaul is calling the future. His bravery is inspiring so many. We're going to talk to him in just a moment, but first, let's take a look at his amazing story. Desmond, I'm 11 years old, and I like pizza, trains, and drinking root beers and sit caffeine-free. I also do drag, and I love to put on makeup, dresses, and wigs, and of course, jewelry is necessary. My full drag name is Desmond's Amazing. I feel very happy to have a mom that accepts me. It really touches me deeply that there are other children out there that he's reaching and they're listening to him and he's influencing them 
to be themselves. I'm very proud of him. I'm proud that he's found his path so early. My greatest joy in this is just seeing Desmond happy. I love doing drag because it makes me feel amazing and self-expressive. It just feels amazing to know that people love what I do. My one big message would be three words, be yourself always. drag queen slash kids and I've heard I've heard that you've gotten messages from young adults who look up to you for being who you are what are some of the notes you've gotten some of the notes I've gotten are like that you inspire me very much and I wish I could have had the support that you have um, when I was a child yeah. and your parents we saw your parents in the piece that we did, and your parents are so supportive of you, but they've also, they've encouraged you to stay and be who you are. So, how has that inspired you to be open about dressing in drag? They support me by letting me do what I want to do, and um, letting me um, dress up, and letting me play with um, makeup and trains, and... Um, yeah, I really like trains. When I'm out of drag, most of the time I'm playing a train. It's a tough world out there, and not everyone's accepting of things. And some people have criticized you. What do you say to them? Um, it's fine. Um, <laughs> here so thank you Desmond but we also have some people that wanted to come see you personally so please welcome head of lettuce <laughs> Mwah! Mwah! 
crazy year when you really break it down um i would play the pride flag again that a man got put in jail for burning a flag a pride flag but you can burn america flag you can steal a person because then that's the people arguing on there well they stole it well you steal america flags and burn it and it's freedom of speech nobody gets charged because it's oh it's protected so we say but a pride flag oh fuck that you're a communist piece of shit. You need to go to fucking jail. So here's a montage. And then I have one article. Because it's all over the place right now. Part of that studio forget drag. Yeah, you remember that? The tranny abortion dance. And of course, my personal, not favorite, but just horror. The dude who pretends he's a little girl. That's right. 
Stephanie has moved on, believing that she will never be accepted by her wife and children. These days, she's got a job plowing snow, and has a new family made up of friends and a new relationship. There's days I forget my past. I can actually go a week without even thinking about what was before. <laughs> so it's a fresh start. It's interesting because it's new to me, and I'm getting accepted in a way I've never been. There's unconditional love. I'm starting to feel like we have a quasi family that we're creating, and I'm allowed to be exactly who I am, and I don't have to apologize or make excuses why I'm different. I can't deny I was married. I can't deny I have children. But I've moved forward now, and I've gone back to、um, being a child. I don't want to be an adult right now, and I just live my life like I couldn't when I was in school. How are things in your life now? Well, I、um, have a mummy and daddy, a, a adopted mummy and daddy, who are totally comfortable with me being a little girl, and their children and their grandchildren are totally supportive. In fact, her youngest granddaughter. When I was eight, a year ago I was eight, and she was seven, and she said to me,、uh, "I want you to be the little sister, so I'll be nine." I said, "Well, I don't mind going to six, so I've been six ever since." But、uh, we have a great time, and、uh, we color, we do kid stuff. It's called play therapy. No medication, no suicide thoughts, and I just get to play. Now, probably the most important thing that underpins the voice is is to get rid of that.、Mm. So I'm going to start off with that today. Okay. Is that okay?、Yeah. Transgendered women have a more difficult time because they essentially have a male larynx and the vocal cords are quite thick because they're male vocal cords. So I want you just to again only this chair re. Tree and just work your lips as hard as you can.、Okay. In front, chair, tree, tree. Very good. Well done. Okay. Now you probably noticed from the outset she went straight away from mmm mmm, and straight away just that first time she was able to get the difference. She's already like outgoing, confident, and that makes a huge difference. When you're on your own and you're just dressing up in front of the bedroom mirror and you're wishing you could go out like that but you don't dare, something is telling you, that, you know, that, that it's wrong to be who you are and it's wrong to want these things. It's made it feel like I'm entitled to be this person and it doesn't have to be a secret and there's nothing wrong with it and it's not even abnormal. It's just a different kind of normal.
once again, I say it every show to do the liberal litmus test. I don't give a fuck. Be a goat. Be a unicorn. Be a koala bear. Don't give a fuck. But how the media allows us to go on and not see that it's a mental illness. And especially with this Desmond kid. There's so many little kids that we're saying it's okay to sterilize them. And live, feed, support their mental illness that they wake up one day and just say they're the opposite sex. It is gender dysphoria. It's a condition. 80% go back. Every podcast I say it, that's the facts. And facts and biology and science just seem to be lost in this whole subject. And I don't understand. But circling the rounds today, our transgender man gives birth to non-binary partner baby with female sperm donor. I'm not reading the rest of it. Female sperm donor. That's how absurd they have become. We're literally going to say female sperm donor. Females don't make sperm. They make ova. Men make sperm. Where the fuck, how the fuck can you even write something like that? And once again, put it to the frame of reference this entire show is based on. What would the media do if it was conservative? That's what I do every week. And every week they fail. Chuck Todd fails, CNN fails, WAPO, New York Times. They are so blatantly progressive. Their misinformation like female sperm is facts now. That's facts. We have generations of people that believe females make sperm and men have babies. Because it's reported. It's on the news. Men have babies, women make sperm. Really? You going to stick to that? I think lastly, because I think that's it, the sex is a lot. Well, I have everything is racist, because I had to do an everything is racist. Uh, that's forgot. I forgot. I got to do that. That was our closing thing. But I, I, I would be remiss if I did the media sports here. Megan Rapahoe and her 15 minutes are up. Colin Kaepernick. He blew his chance, but that was all year. We had to hear, we had to hear everything Megan Rapahoe thought of something, as she said, "America sucks and everybody sucks and her country's embarrassing." Um, and she threw the flag on the ground, if you remember. Yeah, that was a team that we all all Americans are proud of. That's what the media said, but that's not misinformation, Chuck Todd. Yeah, okay. Everything is racist, a few things, but you know, the bulk of it this year was Jesse Smollett and all Trump supporters are fucking racist. There are many indications of a hate crime here. They are looking for two suspects who were apparently wearing Make America Great Again hats, though that has not yet been officially confirmed. We don't know what happened to Jesse, but what we do know is that uh, racism is alive and well in this country. There is real evidence of people who have done these crimes who cite that the president has, has, has inspired them. Um, the fact that um, they reportedly said this is MAGA country adds to sort of the, the atmosphere of menace that African Americans in particular and people of color in general have felt um, 
since the the advent of the Trump administration. And the media has really cast so much doubt on his story, which I find so personally offensive that a gay black man is targeted and then suddenly he becomes the victim of people's disbelief. He said his attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs at him. And this is America in 2019. Well, certainly a very disturbing attack. Chicago police have not released many details. They say they are investigating this as a possible hate crime. Certainly there are many indications of a hate crime here. They are looking for two suspects who were apparently wearing Make America Great Again hats, though that has not yet been officially confirmed. There has been no detailed description on the suspects. This again happened around 2 a.m. in downtown Chicago. Investigators say the victim was able to walk himself to a local hospital where we are told he is in good and stable condition today, but again, a very disturbing attack with very few details about these two assailants who also apparently reeled out homophobic and racist slurs to him before they attacked him physically and then uh, tied that, that noose around his neck before leaving. Uh, what do we know about the, the suspect? Very little. Uh, not even a description has been released other than they were two white males. We don't know their heights. We don't know their builds. That's all information that police were working on. Of course, this did happen in the downtown Chicago area. So one thing investigators will likely look at is any surveillance video in the area. They have not released any leads on that so far. But clearly, multiple investigators from several different departments at Chicago PD are all working on this case together. I am just looking at our notes. I don't know that NBC has confirmed uh, mm-hmm. that they were specifically wearing those hats. I believe it's been reported. Uh, I, I don't believe that NBC has been able to confirm that detail. I sat down with the Empire Star for his first interview since that night in Chicago. He opened up about what he's learned and the bigger message he wants the world to hear. What do you feel people need to hear the most from this story? I think that what people need to hear is just the truth. It's just the truth because everybody has their own idea. Some are healing and some are hurtful but I just want young people young members of the LGBTQ community young black children to know how strong that they are to know the power that they hold in their little pinky it's been two weeks since that night left actor Jesse Smollett bruised but not broken and he's still processing the raw emotions have you ever been threatened before yeah I get threatened all the time on Twitter and Instagram and DMs and things like that. It's like, but, you know, I'm a public figure. I'm very outspoken. (laughs) Sometimes maybe too outspoken. But it's who I am. You know, so I get the idea of pissing people off. That you're going to rub people the wrong way. In fact, the week before the attack, police confirm a letter was sent to the Fox studio in Chicago with threatening language and laced with powdery substance, likely Tylenol. Do you think there's a link between the letter and the attack? Um, And you did mention it to the police right away about the letter. Absolutely. Um, Just because on the letter it had a stick figure hanging from a tree with a gun pointing towards it with the words that said, Smollett, Jesse, you will die, black There was no address, but the return address said in big red, you know, like caps, MAGA. Did I make that up too? 
And despite lack of video surveillance footage, Smollett hopes to rewrite the narrative about that night, saying he fought back against his attackers and reported the incident after his creative director called 911. He's supposed to be well-known requesting a report and said the noose was placed over the friend's neck. I want that video found so badly because for probably four reasons. Number one, I want them to find the people that did it. Number two, I want them to stop being able to say alleged attack. Number three, I want them to see that I fought back. And I want a little gay boy who might watch this to see that I fought back. And it does not take anything away from people that are not able to do that. But I fought back. They ran off. I didn't. What do you say to a young gay man, a young gay person? To learn to fight. And I don't just mean like learn to fight. I mean learn to fight. If the attackers are never found... How will you be able to heal? And, you know, it's been um, interesting trying to report on this particular story. And we've done several reports on this show, just the facts straight. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Because you don't want to get into a place where you are um, you're just sort of speculating about things. Right. And we don't know what happened. And a lot of the been, media did that and in politics, too. A lot of the media. If you, if you look at every single report on this show, it'll show you that it was just stray things. Let's just be real here. Among the most skeptical people, the early skeptics, were black queer folk saying, this just doesn't seem to add up. I hope it's, you know, he's not lying. Right. But this just doesn't add up. Right. Because why? Why do you think they were so skeptical of it? Well... Common sense often always kicks in. Um, I think the the way he had outlined or sort of uh, the, the way the facts were put out, it was a little too perfect. That doesn't work. Come on a show like this or any of my other colleagues and sit down with us live for an hour or however long it takes. Answer the questions that need to be answered from real journalists. I shouldn't say that. From journalists who don't have to worry about the entertainment arm of their particular well, company. I... In the court of public opinion, Jussie has lost. He's right. lost the fight in the court of yeah. public opinion. Yeah. And that's where his battle is. Whether Legally, if he has to go, whatever he has to serve, if it's jail time, if he has to do probation, if he has to pay, whatever. But in the court of public opinion... It, it matters. It, it matters. And he's lost yeah. that because of how, and not his fault, maybe people were... I don't know what they were saying to him, How maybe because of his representatives, I, who, who knows. I don't know but it was handled poorly. Fault. I don't know if it's not his fault, Don. The you fact think it's is, his fault? You think he was is, doing what he wanted? Well, he went out and he gave the interview. On what we ignore, we empower. You just said that, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I agree with you. And also, I know this is going to be controversial. So, to challenge all the supporters of this president, when you said to John Kasich, I know people who support Donald Trump. They're not bigots, but for people who look like me, other minorities, women who have been, well, let's just leave this to race. This president has said and done so many insensitive and bigoted and racist things that if you support for him, you, if you support him, people like me want to understand why you ignored so much in order to support this man. You may not think you're a racist. Maybe, I, I don't know if you are. I, I don't think you know every Trump supporter is a racist. But you certainly had to overlook 
racism and bigotry in order to make that decision. Now then, maybe you made that decision in the, in the, in the voting booth. And then now, even after all of this, if you still, in your mind, can support this person, why the hell are you overlooking racism so much? It is personal and even deadly to people like me. That is important. I think this is a big moment for Trump supporters. It is very hard for people to look at what Steve King was saying. His plea of ignorance, whatever, you know, th that's about him. If he's not smart enough to know that what he's saying is stupid, that's on him. But for those who support the president, this is a testing moment right now. And this choice echoes to all who comprise America's matrix of minorities, who fear being treated as less than. Blacks, Latinos, ethnics, LGBT too. None is welcome in that message of hate. Still worse, the president's quiet forces the suggestion that he supports what he fails to oppose. Factor this in. Karen Pence is the wife of the vice president. She's teaching art at a place where the application requires would-be employees to initial next to a list of beliefs, including certain moral misconduct, includes homosexual or transgender identity as being disqualifying, or any other violation of the unique roles of male and female. Now, don't cheapen my argument by saying Cuomo's equating Christianity and white power. Please. That's, a, that's a, just a, a slip of an obvious point. I am a flawed, failing, repentant Christian. Okay, if I had any bias, it would be in favor of faith. The point is that the value of exclusion is embraced here. And our vice president's wife, in the place where she is, it does the same thing. And it adds to the anxiety for people around why this White House, why this president doesn't speak out against a member of his party that embraces a message that isolates the same kinds of people that are being singled out where the vice president's wife works. The there are moments when you do the right thing. God forbid you and I are out, which, you know, happens on a regular basis. Somebody comes up, says something ugly to you. It happens. Who knows what happens to me for you doing that? You embrace them. You but, hug them. But yeah, I hug them. I hug them with three <laughs> knuckles that make their eyes roll into their head and they wake up seven minutes with a headache later. The point is, you stand up against the ugly people and you do what has to be done in the moment because none of us tolerate that kind of BS. That's what you do for the people you care about. The president's job is to care about all of us. Yeah. And he's got to stand up against it. And you can't let him get away with saying nothing. Either you're for King. But Republicans now, with this, I think, could make such a significant statement by forcing him to resign. But will Republicans now step up to the plate with Donald Trump? Because he has been using, I think, the border wall as sort of this dog whistle for racism. The government is still shut down, and I think it's all about, let's not let all these brown people in, right? Unless they're working for farmers, unless they're working in agriculture. So now will the Republican Party step up to him and say, we don't want but this Sonny, there anymore? But there's 42 percent of this country that support the wall. Are they all racist? <laughs> That's a good question. No, 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 I'm, a, I'm asking a, you that. that. that I, don't, a, I don't think so. I don't think so. I is think Donald, there are a lot of people is, that is, believe in I don't security. Know. Is Donald Trump racist? Duh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not referring. I mean, I don't know. Is he? I'm just saying, I'm just saying if you're, if you're going to paint a broad stroke about a wall and that being racist, then I, 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 I don't know. But there are but a lot is, of people that support the wall being is, built. Is Donald Trump racist? It's really serious. We've been told as we know it. That by 2030, the world as we know it, that's it. That's it.
If it was a movie, we'd have Bruce, Bruce Willis in a suit, like, talking about something. Please cast me. Um, and said, but, uh, you have, you like, please, Amy on. Adams, save us. I can just pray that, like, finally the aliens will come and have compassion for us, and Amy can do something. We, but, need, like, we need superheroes. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like yeah. the urgency would be so severe, and instead it's like we have a media that's barely talking about it. We have a media that's saying it's a debate whether or not what just happened to Jesse Smollett is a hate crime. It's absurd. This isn't a debate. I agree. I agree. Sorry, I'm like, not at all. I'm like really fired not up tonight. This, but is how, this is how you have to be fired up. It feels up. impossible to you not feel this way right now with yeah. the president and the vice president, Mike Pence, who like wishes I couldn't be married. Let's just be clear. <laughs> The Vice President of America wishes I didn't have the love with my wife. He wanted to ban that in Indiana. He believes in conversion therapy. He has hurt LGBTQ people so badly as the government of Indiana. And I think the thing we need to know, and I hope my show Gaycation did this, in terms of connecting the dots, in terms of what happened the other day to Jesse. I don't know him personally. I, saw, I sent all of my love. Connect the dots. This is what happens. If you are in a position of power and you hate people and you want to cause suffering to them, you go through the trouble. You spend your career trying to cause suffering. What do you think is going to happen? Kids are going to be abused and they're going to kill themselves. And people are going to be beaten on the street. I have traveled the world and I have met the most marginalized people you could meet. I am lucky to have this time and the privilege to say this. This needs to stop. This morning, the president attacked another member of Congress on Twitter. This time, it's House Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings. He wrote this. Cummings District is a disgusting, rat and rodent infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. No human being would want to live there. Infested. That's usually reserved for references to rodents and insects. But we've seen the president invoke infestation to criticize lawmakers before. You see a pattern here? Just two weeks ago, President Trump attacked four minority congresswomen. Why don't they go back to the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Reminder, three of them were born here. All of them are American. Infested, he says. A week before his inauguration, January 2017, Congressman John Lewis should spend more time on fixing and helping his district, which is in horrible shape and falling apart, not to mention crime infested. Donald Trump has tweeted more than 43,000 times. He's insulted thousands of people, many different types of people. But when he tweets about infestation, it's about black and brown people. September 2014, at the height of an urgent health emergency, why are we sending thousands of ill-trained soldiers into Ebola-infested Ebola areas of Africa? Bring the plague to the U.S.? Obama is so stupid. Infested, he says. There's a revolution going on in California. So many sanctuary areas 
want out of this ridiculous crime-infested and breeding concept. Infested, he says. The president says about Congressman Cummings' district, that no human would want to live there. You know who did, Mr. President? I did. From the day I was brought home from the hospital to the day I left for college. And a lot of people I care about still do. There are challenges, no doubt. But people are proud of their community. I don't want to sound self-righteous, but people get up and go to work there. They care for their families there. They love their children who pledge allegiance to the flag, just like people who live in districts of congressmen who support you, sir. They are Americans, too. We'll be right back. This was another one of those episodes where, and I didn't play the Everything's Racist soundbite, I probably should have, but where every media just locked in because it was perfect. It fulfilled Trump's America. It just did. GQ, not only was sure Simone had been attacked, it knew who'd done it and earth-shaking significant for the future. The magazine hyped the article, the racism, homophobic attack at Jesse Smollett is a far-right America endgame. Cory Booker, Camelia Harris, MSDNC's Zerlina Maxwell was satisfied at the speed which her fellow lemming head, headed for the cliff. The media is broken. If they can't call the attack on Jesse Smollett racist up, then they need to find alternative employment. Confronted by the uh, disintegration hate story, Wrinkle in Time director, VH1 Trailblazer recipient Ava DeVerney did the Twitter equivalent of sticking her fingers in here and shouting, I can't hear you. Despite the inconsistencies, I can't blindly believe Chicago PD. We covered that. Washington Post, Eugene Scott, uh, The Fix, too many, too many. The Smolin incident, the political nature of the assault, is yet another reminder for many black gay Americans that this president's vision of a great America does not appear to include them. That's what he surmised. Oh, really? CNN's Don Lemon took the attack as a chance to educate us all on the hardships of being black, gay, and famous. Appearing on actress Jada Pinkett Smith's web show, Red Table Talk, the anchor dismissed doubts about Smollett's account, saying, When something happens to you and it's controversial, everyone is coming for you. And so I knew everyone would be picking apart this story. Oh, really? Viola Dalis. Oh, my God, this is why the LGBTQ community continues to fight to be seen and protected against hate. We all have to take this racist, homophobic act of violence very personally. Nancy Pelosi, the racist, homophobic attack on Jesse Smollett is an affront to our humanity. No one should be attacked for who they are, who they love. May we all commit to ending this hate once and for all. One-time conservative earned her keep on CNN, talking head reminding Harumph that supporters, the people who've been slimed and assuming guilty of a transparent bogus crime, should celebrate the vindication. The giddiness among Trumpsters over the Smollett news is gross. Brian Seltzer, the bag-dang bog of me- bob of media analysts, and Saturday got a little snippy about how to explain away another media self-immolation. Some choice quotes. And when you're looking at those random websites all over the web spreading information, you can end up, I think, having the story was able to be weaponized. Remember, it was weaponized. Yeah. 
It was weaponized. It wasn't that it was false. It was weaponized. The rest is all the ugly that we had this year with Don Lemon and Cuomo and Christian's bad. They're racist. Everybody's racist. Victor Blackwell with his grandstanding because Trump did what every other fucking president has done and retorted back to a person that was talking shit to to him. But because he was black, he does the whole, oh, I live there and my place isn't a shithole and you're horrible and I'm, I'm wounded. It's theatrics. I could go on forever on everything's racist. We've learned it. Everything is racist. Anything you say in the age of Trump is worse than it was during the age of Obama. It's considered racist, xenophobic, sexist, something. It just all is. And once again, that's fine with me. Keep doing that because right now, There is no fear in being called a racist. It used to have power over people. It's what they did to shut you up. Now they've used it on everything from milk to every fucking thing. The flag is racist. The American flag's racist. I mean, you you blew it, Libs. You just blew it. If it wasn't you saddling up to BLM and want to kill all cops and white people, using racist as a shut-up for every statement you don't agree with, it pretty much sums up my whole freaking news and social media nugget section. I mean, that's all it is. From the gay shit, to racist shit, to liberal shit, to college shit, it's whatever we say goes, and if you don't agree with it, then you're an ist or an ob, and that's how we're going to win the argument, because we cannot justify what we're saying. None of this shit is justifiable and passes the common sense test among normal Americans, because normal Americans look at it and go, what the fuck? You got a fucking nine-year-old kid shaking his ass to gay men. You say that's not child abuse. It is amazing. Look how brave he is. We need to live to what we are inside. And you say every decision, every policy that are the same policies as every other president are racist, xenophobic, sexist. I mean, if you people really look at yourself, you 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 just have lost the argument with the middle of the country. You lost an election over it. I mean, the people that went into Congress were in deep blue states. There's only a few people that were in Trump's districts. But as we spread misinformation all of Chuck Todd, you don't know that. I mean, nobody showed the district map after 2016. They just talked about 3.5 million votes that all came from California. That's what they talked about. As they said, let's get rid of Electoral College and all that shit. So, anyway. That's our news and social media nuggets. I know we're almost four hours, but it's a year in review. It's hard to cram all this shit in. We're going to play one lighter fare because I thought this was the coolest thing, and it's the 101st Airborne Spirit video. Sorry. Got to play it again, then I'll put it away. Enjoy. We're 101st Airborne Division Air Assault, and friends who let friends join the Navy. Air Assault! Go on! 
I had a This Is America, which was a media montage from last week, but it's pretty much in line with what I've already played on here. It's it's more racist and fucking this is wrong. And uh, there's interesting, you know, articles coming out that the media won't cover that Chuck Schumer said the exact same thing about what they're doing on impeachment right now. But, uh, you know, the media is not going to report that because as Chuck Todd says, that's just disinformation, which... You know, I, I would play, I was going to play Chuck Todd at the end, um, but I don't know how many people make it to the end sometimes. Maybe they don't like the news and social media nuggets, so I put it where I did because I think that is just the most shocking thing that happened this year. We are now saying any other information coming, I understand 4chan, fucking Gateway Pundit, things like I Sure, those are extremist sites. I, I got that, but to say everything on Drudge, Everything from Daily Wire, Daily Caller, Town Hall, any conservative op-eds, you're just saying all of that is to be disregarded, and we must get all our news from NBC and MSDNC? Are you fucking shitting me? That is where we've gone in one year. One year. They just can't handle that the American people don't buy their bullshit. Not everybody believes that the impeachment, which was the major event of this year, and that's why I played the 30 minutes of Nancy Pelosi and coverage that they weren't going to do that. That's where we ended up in most of the country after three fucking years of investigations, rhetoric, cursing, attacks on people in red outfits. I mean, they don't buy it. But the media can't handle that. They look at it and go, whoa, 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 why would you not buy this? We are telling you <coughs> this is against the Constitution. But they forget. You also told us that the Affordable Care Act was all going to save us money and it destroyed every one of us our premiums. You also told us Benghazi was bullshit, yet we saw for you know the dead Americans. We also saw the IRS, and we've lived through all this with the media defending one party and attacking another party, and we've gone into hyper overdrive as as of uh, you know November 9th, twenty sixteen, and it has been. Three fucking years of relentless smoking guns and he's horrible and everybody who doesn't vote against him is a racist and I, I, I think you're losing that same thing I've talked about on the show and I hate to repeat. George Bush got reelected because you beat the fuck out of him for four years and Americans are for our underdogs. We all are whether we want to agree with it or not. That, that's what we look for. The guy that gets beat up on or picked on or whatever, we feel sorry for that guy. And even though Trump annoys the shit out of most of us and his Twitter account's fucking embarrassing, we feel sorry for the guy. Because you keep saying everything he's doing, which are same policies that Obama did, and a lot of the major things, from immigration to fucking um, kids on the border, doing the opposite of what Obama did with transgenders. It's just, well, that's what Republican Party stands for. What's wrong with that? I mean, I think the thing that is lost, and I can't encapsulate on a podcast, is how most Americans are in the center on almost every one of these subjects. We hold certain things dear. For me, bashing Christians, even though I'm not a good Christian, and abortion, not having it federally funded and it should be restricted to certain trimesters because it's a human being. 
We, we hold that dear, the flag, veterans. Everybody has their causes, and those are the things that we go crazy on. But with the left, you push against everything that's center. Flags racist, racist, national anthems racist, not agreeing with Obama's racist, not believing little kids should be able to change their sex, transphobic, um, not adhering to 95 pronouns, transphobic, uh, not believing that penguins fuck each other, homophobic, not believing that most of the bullshit about women's rights are fucking horseshit because most of us have left this country and seen that women get treated pretty fucking poorly and that's not the case in America. Equal opportunity and fucking quotas and all those things. Majority Americans, they don't do it because they're white. They don't do it because they're racist, sexist, or transphobic, or homophobic. They just see it as, as, this is bullshit. And with the litany of stuff on colleges and protests and how the media covers it. I mean, I haven't even talked about the the fucking pro-life marches and all that stuff this year. Um, they see what the media does. So I think the key thing that I try to portray in this podcast is an alternative source. And the fact that people listen to this to the tune of 900 listens just on SoundCloud this year, which means it's probably double because I can't get good stats. It's not filtering podcast addict, and a lot of people I know use it. I use it. It doesn't even count me listening um, when I download and check for errors, which there are many. So I'd say it at 1,500 listens. We'll say 1,500 listens. We'll just half it. There would be no Fox News if the media wasn't biased. There would be no web presence. But the problem is most of us are looking for something other than the regurgitation of liberal talking points on CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS, and MSDNC. We're looking for something else. We know that the story has two sides. We can't find the second side, so we look to other things. So to say all these things are misinformation, there's always two sides to a story. I think the most important thing to garner from this whole Trump era is the man said he was wiretapped. The media joked about it. The Trump dossier was unbelievable. The media said it was true. And at the end of the Mueller, he was wiretapped. The FISA abuse was blatant and they had to report it. And the dossier was bullshit. Made up crap. Couple that with three years of he's going to be impeached, the walls are closing, to have the year close on him being impeached for a phone call that nobody heard but a bunch of people believe what he said and all of us remembering Barack Hussein Obama saying after the election will have more leeway. We, it's hard if you objectively look at the stuff and not go, what the fuck? So yeah, there are crazy right-wing sites on the internet. And there's crazy white right-wing podcasts. Maybe out there some people think I'm one of them. But the inverse is also true for the left. But the base middle of this country is looking for other sides to stories. They have been burned 
by the mainstream media always pushing one party's points, one party's causes, one party's view of America. And black, white, gay, straight, religion does not matter. Gender does not matter. Most of the country believes America's good. Most of the country believes and showing respect to the American flag. Most of the country believes, hey, little kids should not be drag dancing. I'm sorry. So, it's hard for most of us to look at our media and objectively not say, man, they're a fucking hot garbage fire. So they come out with shit like Chuck Todd does. And in their frustration, they say everybody's racist. And they promote gay drag kids. And they have all the horrible things we heard in the decade of conservatives are bad. And the TDS soundbite, which I was going to put on the back end of just, Jesus Christ. Everything Trump does evil. Everybody who supports him evil. Evil, 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 evil. Because we're just positioning it to eight years of he is Jesus. I mean, God damn. And I know in Oregon and California, New York, New Jersey, you believe he's Jesus. He was everything you stood for and everything you wanted to say this racist fucking company, country had a black president. We're no longer racist anymore. You felt good about that. But sadly, he was not the Messiah. Sadly, the media didn't report on things, and that alternative media had to start looking. Without alternative media, once again, most of people in America would not know, and they probably still don't know on the coast, that in 2012, we put motherfuckers in cages. It was actually an Obama policy. They wouldn't know that. Without alternative media, we would not know that Obama knew the Russians were fucking with it, and they didn't touch it. Because he didn't want to fuck with an election. But he allowed a FISA report, or a FISA court, to do wiretapping on an opposing party during a fucking election. And my last point. Every election cycle, the media rolls out a 47% a grab a pussy. After every election cycle, the media rolls out any dirty thing we find out about Obama. My example, Obama's picture with Farrakhan. Literally buried it on purpose. They buried it, and they admitted they did. That seems like a subtle thing. But when you spend three years saying that one person is anti-Semitic, and the President of the United States, who was the greatest president since George fucking Washington, but George Washington had slaves, so he is a piece of shit, so he is the greatest president, Barack Hussein Obama, was hanging out with the biggest anti-Semite on the planet, coupled with, we won't report that black people are beating up people in New York because they are acidic Jews, and we ignore a New Jersey shooting and a guy walking in with a machete. It just fucking happened. How do you think America's not going to look at that and go, what the fuck? So, Trump's a bad guy. That's what you're saying. Okay. So, that's our year in review. 
And it wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud podcast attic tuner radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast make sure you check out the facebook page at fop podcast and our twitter page at fop tony reed i wish you all a happy happy new year our next podcast will be three i say three january 2020 holy crap and i'm sure we'll have plenty of media malfeasance we'll have New Year's is racist, and plenty of racist and gay shit for our news and social media nuggets, plus some crazy college stuff. But I once again wish everyone you a prosperous, healthy, happy, loving 2020. And I want to once again thank all of you for following me this year. I hope it's been entertaining, and I hope I continue to be entertaining. But if I'm not, use that email account, F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Tell me what you want to hear. I'll put it on the show. As always, thanks for listening. Please tune in on the 3rd of January 2020, the next year, for another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Oh, oh, oh.